the blast from our past network. This is Jay Garcia from Nightmare Announcer. You're listening to Podcasting After Dark with Zach and Corey. Listen in. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, The Blob, starring Shawnee Smith, Kevin Dillon, and Joe Seneca. Welcome to another gooey episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm one half of the pad team, Sleazy C, Corey here, joined with me as always, my brother from another mother, Tiny T, Zachy Poo. What's up, buddy? I am going to be officially Kevin Dillon's terrible Western shirt. I'll call myself that. I am terrible. I am Kevin Dillon's terrible Western shirt. Even my wife pointed that shirt out to me when Oof. we were watching it. Oof. What the hell was that all? The 80s guys were a wild time. I love me some Kevin Dillon, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think he does a fantastic job in this movie, but hoofa doofa, whoever styled him did it in a closet with the lights off yeah because what was up with that mullet man and apparently by the way that mullet was extension so they they went out of their way to make it extra mullety i didn't know that up until about five minutes before we recorded this (laughs) and because i've seen this movie well over a dozen times since it came out and i always would say to myself watching him i'm like i want to like him but his hair looks like looks too big for his head and what is up with that? It's a weird mullet. It's not like not even a cool cool mullet. It's like a middle aged mullet. And and now that all makes sense to me. So so poor Kevin Dillon for getting terrible <laughs> hair extensions. Poor guy. It wasn't his fault. And I almost wonder, and this could just be in my head putting things together that don't actually exist, but you know, Frank Darabont co-wrote this script who is a massive Stephen King fan uh he also directed and wrote Shawshank Redemption and The Mist and Green Mile and The Green Mile and in this movie uh Kevin Dillon's character's name is Brian Flagg the last name Flagg is the name of the villain from The Stand and the and Dark Tower and everything so I I don't think with two G's a flag with two G's so I don't think that that's a coincidence and knowing that and do you remember the guy that played flag in the made for tv stand movie he had a lot of hair too and i'm wondering if that was like a description in the stand book and then darabont was like we gotta make kevin dylan like have a lock of black hair like flag does that's honestly the only thing i can even figure it out but at the same time apparently shawnee smith was wearing extensions in it too so i don't know man well um stephen king is not the uh the purveyor of style. Uh, he's not known for his style. That's true. That's why he writes books. You know, you don't see style in books. You just read about it. Uh, I don't look at style. I read about style. And uh, but yeah, I don't know, man. Look, look. They're, they're, I'd say everybody else in this looked totally normal. <laughs> yeah, compared comparatively, really, speaking. they really do. I mean, Shawnee Smith. No offense. I mean, again, I think she's awesome in it too. She definitely does not look like a 17-year-old girl. She's, like, clearly pushing close to 
mid twenties. Well, <clears throat> I mean, like, uh, like in the in in her defense, that was the eighties, and that was literally every movie oh, that, that I, we've we've seen on this show so far. I'm just saying, like, out of everybody, like you know, she was the most mature looking out yeah. of the group, and and uh, and and but man, yeah, Kevin Dillon stuck out like a sore thumb. But what a what a fun choice, my friend. This is not again like more mainstream uh, than than you know uh, what what I tend to <laughs> mutant. <laughs> mutant. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say I, I'm, I'm we're kind of coming in hot right now with, uh, with hating on Shawnee Smith and, uh, and and Kevin Dillon. I mean, we're not really, but we're having fun. But honestly, I'm glad we're getting it out of the way now because uh, there's really not much I dislike about this movie uh oh, there's like, nothing i dislike about yeah, this movie <laughs> except for maybe his hair and and dude so like and you, his man, shirt and his boots and his jacket and his badge <laughs> sorry <laughs> and his new york accent in colorado wherever the hell it is okay so everything about brian flag you hate except for his delivery of lines i guess yeah i i like his attitude I think his attitude's cool. He, there's a couple moments I can't wait to bring up uh, facial expressions. Um, okay, <laughs> that I enjoy. All right, buddy. What what is your connection to this movie? <laughs> and then I'll I'll go into mine. I never saw it in the theater. I wish mm. I had. I was old enough. I mean, shit. If I saw so half the movies I saw in the theater with my with my mom or. Uh, you know, you would think that the blob would be the, a movie I'd see in the theater, but I did not. I do remember good old Eric, and I know he's listening. Of uh, course. It, he re- introduced this movie to me. It was on the cover of Fangoria, so of course I wanted to see it. And all in a gore zone too. I think Gore Zone had it as well on the cover, because gosh, there is so much great gore in this film. Oh yeah. And I've seen this movie well over a dozen times throughout its inception. Uh, most notably, most recently, uh, besides this viewing, I saw it at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. Shout out to the Arrow. Um, yeah. You know, at some point down the road when theaters reopen, cannot wait to go back to their Halloween horror fests where they show from 7 at night till 7 in the morning, they show horror films nonstop. Yeah. And uh, I've gone to the past... Now four or five straight, and the Blob was the first one they showed out the gate one night. And seeing it with a full live audience and a rowdy audience is the best way to see a horror film. First yeah. of all, second of all, being able to see it on the big screen and forgetting that Frank Darabont had wrote it, you know. And clearly, we are talking A-list caliber. Uh, Should have won for Shawshank. Should have mm-hmm. won an Academy Award for Green Mile. All shoulda, woulda, coulda. When that stuff mattered. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but that, that's my, but that's my introduction to this movie. And you know, I'm not gonna hold back uh, my love of it. I love this movie. It, it, it's and it does it hold up today? In spades. Yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. it's it's such a great and 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 with a Carpenter esque ending. Um, you know, that's ripe for a sequel that never was. And thank God they didn't because the sequel probably would have been terrible. Uh, uh, I love yeah, it. You get right. your own world building going on. You know, the best, the best kind of movies are the ones that your imagination continues to build upon after leaving a, a screening of it. Right. I, Those are the I best movies agree. in my opinion where mm-hmm. you're just like, yeah, but we could do this and we could do that. And oh, I'm going to draw a story. And, you know, I think I, I like, I think I even like, 
in high school or junior high, I was writing stories. No, this is, I was 12 at the time. So probably, yeah, almost approaching middle school, uh, probably heavily influenced my interest in creepy stuff. So yeah, that's, that's that's my uh, intro. How about you, sleazy gelatinous C? <laughs> I am a little gelatinous right now, not gonna lie. Oh, I didn't you know. mean that in a negative way. <laughs> no, I didn't mean I know, that. But that I sounded am. terrible. <laughs> take back. We're allowed one take back per episode. <laughs> That's my take back. <laughs> um, well, yeah, dude. This was I didn't see it in the theater either, and I have never seen it in the theater, sadly, which uh, I would like to, to correct and rectify at some point. But it was a strong go-to. For Luke and I back in the day, you know, I think it was one of the, Luke, Luke, what's up? I mean, I know he's going to be listening to this. And it was like, you know, it's one of those movies where, because a lot of times Luke and I would be like playing in his basement. He had like one of those half basements where like part of it was like the little play area. Part of it was like the TV and stuff. So, you know, we'd have put something on the TV. Let's go rent something on a Friday night. Ah, simpler times, right? When you're, when you were like 12 or 13, pretty much the same age as the the two kids in the movie. And, you know, it was a crowd pleaser. Like anytime we, you know, we loved it every time we watched it. And then it sort of probably just fell into one of those movies where if we didn't know what else to watch, we would just pop that in because we knew we would have a good time with it and i have not seen it yeah i probably saw it probably like you about 15 times between you know 88 or 89 and you know 99 but then from that point on i have not seen it since wow and boy was i so pleasantly surprised by how well this movie holds up. I think it's got a strong score uh, um, script by Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell, and the practical effects still are amazing. And thank God they did them. I was just uh, watching the the interview with Chuck Russell on the Shaw Factory Blu-ray disc, which is you know great by the way. Guys, pick it up. Just yeah, don't beautiful. even hesitate. It's beautiful. awesome. And he, you know, he was he also directed The Mask, and uh, he utilized CG in that, which was later, but he was eyeballing CGI for this movie, but he was like, ah, it's not there yet. He was, he said he was kind of like keeping eyes on CG and everything while it was happening. He's like, it's not there yet, but I'm like, oh man, like, I feel like we dodged a bullet. Like, like there's an alternate (laughs) reality that has a shitty version of this movie that's CGI and man, I don't even want them to- The Last Starfighter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, right. With Hair Mountain, that asteroid that looks like fucking a hair vomit. I I love Last Starfighter, yeah. but the CGI so in that I. movie's terrible. So, uh, you know, let's be honest, guys. That if they used practical effects for that movie, it would be more popular than it actually is. I think so. It, it's a great story, uh, top to bottom, decent film. And, great alien designs CG, like when they actually have practical designs in last starfighter it looks great yeah i the, the, but the that cgi uh downgrades it substantially in my opinion it really does it turns it into a b movie versus a uh an a an a movie and I the blob think... would have been a b movie like it, below it b would have been yeah yeah and and, it and, and right now it's 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 a fun B movie, like a B movie on purpose, but it's it it turns yeah. into an A movie. Uh, side note, real quick, I just want to put it on the official track here. I would love if someone just took Last Starfighter, the the whole movie, just the way it is, but then just redo the CGI for the CGI parts. Uh, Star Trek, the original series released when they came out on Blu-ray about like eight years ago, they did that. They had the original 
special effects track if you wanted to watch that. And then they actually went in and just did all the spaceship stuff. They just did CGI. Everything else, they just well, that's cool. they didn't touch. And I think that's a cool does idea. Look, does it look good? Look it cool. did. It looked it really look fucking cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I know there's talk of a remake of Starfighter. I know this isn't the last Starfighter podcast, but... <laughs> We're on it. I know at one point there was there was a there's talk of a re, a remake or a reimagining. Um, I think it'd be a great series, t- television series, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, but um, like don't touch or or go back and do practical effects for the CGI. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. I, I'd be down to see that. Uh, but but this movie, The Blob, it it, it I will say it's an A list B movie. Yes, there like you it's go. A, it's an A, it's an A plus B movie. Like it is, it it checks all the boxes, uh, for me, and it is so smart. It's a smart film, mm-hmm. um, and little finite details throughout this movie, where you, where whoever did you know every single person involved in it, down to the special effects, where they're like. Well, let's throw this in there. Maybe no one's going to notice it, but shit, I noticed it. I'm sure you did too. Certain scenes where you're like, whoa, they didn't have to put that in, but it's so cool that they put that in. And one scene in particular, it's, it's at the very end, but to your point, when the blob blows out of the ground and falls on the colonel as he's pulling the, the pins on his grenade, you know, when the blob hits the ground, the windows shatter and the business is around it. And I was like, that's awesome i don't think every filmmaker would have thought to do that but that adds so much of an impact to the blob landing and thus kind of giving you this sense of of weight and mass to it that you know it's 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 an effect that they have to do they have to set up the windows blowing out but it's an essential part of the of the effect of that scene and i think things like that are what really make this movie stand out uh and you know Touching on The Last Starfighter being a remake, we have to address the fact that I think that this stands on like the, the what, the, 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 not Trinity, because that would be three, but like five best remakes of all time. I mean, we got The Thing, you got The Fly, you got uh, this, you know, you got Dawn of the Dead remake with uh, Zack Snyder's remake, and I, it's probably something else there. But um, yeah, there, this is just like one of the few handfuls of remakes that I think are infinitely better than the original. And also, you think about its source material, and and the source material came out in the fifties, yeah. And that's probably why, you know, thirty years went by, and they decided to remake this, which is which is fine. Thirty years went by, pretty much with the thing, they decided to remake it. Yeah. You know, thirty years with the fly, decided to remake it. You didn't do like fright night in 86 and then decide to remake it 15 years later or whatever it was because that movie it's not bad but it's not good you know what i'm saying it's not a classic um you didn't go the fog route where you decide to remake it and that's dog shit i'd say village of the damned is a pretty decent remake uh of the original it's not bad it's it's not that bad Uh, invasion Um, of the body snatchers the 1970 that is your that's your uh, that's your final like top one in my yeah. opinion. Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers, the 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 seventy eight version. Um, the Abel Ferrara one's not bad. It's yeah, not, it's, but it's not memorable. You know, these movies are like meh. Versus, I'm never for gonna I'm never gonna forget this. Um, and the Blob is, also, ne- is then the Blob is unforgettable, especially judging by everyone's responses online. People love this movie. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The blob is unforgettable. It's I I wholeheartedly agree with your with your five or your four or whatever that was. Um, it wouldn't throw Invasion of the Body Snatchers in there. That would be the final one in, in my opinion. Um, you know, they, they didn't go the the Black Christmas route where they had two remakes within a span of like five years or some bullshit. You know, like sorry sorry, that's a little bit of a soapbox issue with me. It's like mm-hmm. do not come up with something you know we've been saying that we say that people say that every year come up with something original there are original movies out there there's tons of great original stuff you know but the black christmas ones never needed to be remade um remake children shouldn't play with dead things that would be a good one to remake because that's a great pg horror film that they could update and turn into r and make super terrifying um but the blob is classic i think this the 88 bob Bob, Bob, and Bob. <laughs> Bob, the eighty-eight hey Bob. Blob, Bob, Fat, Babcock, and Fitch. <laughs> What's in the bag? <laughs> the eighty-eight Blob is is definitely a classic, in my opinion. Classic horror. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'll sit by yeah. that. I will. Yeah. I will die on that hill. Nice. Nice. And it's cool because uh, you know this movie. You know, Chuck Russell, apparently, he, he kind of found that the rights were pretty cheap for it. And I think he somehow acquired them. He pitched, he wrote, him and Frank Darabont wrote the script and pitched it to New Line. They passed on it, but because their pitch was so strong, that's how they got uh, um, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. That one, which became then Chuck Russell's uh, actual debut. So, and then because that did well... He got to do this afterwards. He got to make this afterwards. So it kind of like a, in cool. a roundabout way is how he got there. Well, he directed the second best nightmare movie in my yep. opinion. I'd say yep. one three two in is that's in the new nightmare. One three yep. in the last one. Um one three. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of new nightmare. Last, yeah. New na- yeah, I might actually say one three new and then two. Yeah. I might go yeah. in that order. And um, I agree with you too. I like two a lot, actually. So, and and three as well. So, I mean, at this point, three's classic Nightmare on Elm Street. Three is like skates that fine line of comedy and horror. Yeah, and then it just unravels after that. Like, come on, guys, seriously. Yeah. At least Jason states, you know, he kept his mouth shut. <laughs> silly one-liners haha <laughs> buy my toys exactly um, no but but yeah chuck russell the director was was great with dream warriors that, that is that is such a classic movie and obviously you talked about frank darabont should we talk a little bit about the cast Do you want to talk about the casty cast of course. uh you got shawnee smith playing meg and shawnee smith you know mo- uh, modern fans will know her from saw the saw franchise old school fans will know her from summer school <laughs> she's great in summer school she's pregnant she was the pregnant teen <laughs> the stereotype pregnant teen uh kevin dylan plays brian oh, flag well, in all I his just, glory i just wanted to say uh i actually kind of first noticed shawnee smith on the ted danson becker tv show Oh, becker was that, great that yeah. literally was on for how many seasons was that show that show was six fucking seasons and no one talks about that show ever like that show just doesn't exist anywhere but it was on for six fucking seasons and she There's played like that. Uh, well, I, I liked it i don't know but uh, uh she she was like his he was like he was played like a kind of a doctor or something on there but she was like the receptionist or nurse or whatever yeah. and i just kind of were i obviously I, I knew her from this but like in my brain i kind of don't even like sort of picture her in my head like when i think about the blob for me it's more just the blob doing its thing like if i remember back like fondly uh, you know so for some reason shawnee smith always like becker is the first thing that pops in my head i don't know that's why. funny because yeah I, I say 
Blob and Summer School. That's what I always remember her from. And then she popped up and saw it. And I'm like, holy shit, it's yeah. Shawnee Smith from Summer School. She's been work. I mean, she's been working for and the blob. years. And, and she Becker. Yeah, looks she's great. Working. Yeah, and she's working right now. She's uh, She just got finished filming something in New York. So follow her on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Dillon. <laughs> Your man. Good old KD plays Brian Flagg. Kevin Dillon is uh, amongst that rare group of brothers in this in this industry. Uh, the Quades, the Carradines, the Swayze's, the Stallones, the Estevez, and I'm talking about Martin Sheen and Joe Estevez. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Norrises, Aaron Norris and Chuck Norris. No, that's his son, I think. Anyways, um, yeah, Kevin Dillon is part of that rare breed of like, oh, you're that brother. You're the other brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sorry. Like, he's no Don Swayze. Um, uh, no offense to Don Swayze. And because Don Swayze is a pretty decent actor. But, uh, you know, Patrick Swayze is his hunk. And he was on the cover. He's Sexiest Man Alive, People Magazine. I think Matt Dillon, if he wasn't, he was probably in the running. And then Kevin Dillon. <laughs> and uh, I remember watching this. I was watching this the other night. And my wife, Kristen, she's like, who is that guy again? And I go, yeah, it's Kevin Dillon. And I said, uh, I said, did you? he was on Entourage. And did you ever watch Entourage? She goes, oh, yeah. And I never watched Entourage. I said, were they a bunch of douchebags on that show? She goes, yeah, I think so. I'm like, yeah, that's probably why I didn't watch it. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I remember Kevin Dillon. He was every he was everywhere in the '80s. Yeah. Um, you know, with teen movies like For Keeps with Molly Ringwald. Was that the one? No, he was in another one where uh, James Woods is in it. I forget the name now. Anyways, uh, like they're 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 like a pregnant teen couples and james woods and his wife want to want the baby and they give up the baby or something like that uh but he was in shit he was in platoon he was in the doors uh he was in oh immediate family sorry immediate family was the movie with uh, mary stewart masterson and i think like glenn close and james woods before he became a radical moron the rescue yeah if you've never seen the rescue it came out in 1988 same year as uh as this yeah Fun, cool action, like teen action movie. Uh, Remote Control. It's a pretty decent B-horror film. Um, apparently he was in, shit, he was in the Delta Force. Okay. Uh, but, and I always but, remember from him from uh, No Escape, which was yeah, a, a movie that I, I didn't I kind of like that movie. I didn't I, love I, it. <laughs> I didn't love it, but because, you know, Ray Liotta, I don't think it's like the action hero type. Yeah, that was when, yeah, Ray Liotta tried to think that he could, like, do the action stuff. And it I didn't, just didn't Yeah, it didn't work for me, really. But if you've never seen uh, Remote Control, that's worth checking out. It's kind of a wacky horror film. And Heaven Help Us. And um, he starred in that movie. It's a coming-of-age Catholic boy drama mm, yeah. uh, with Andrew McCarthy, Patrick Dempsey, and our boy S- Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries actually talked about making that movie on our exclusive Patreon interview. And if you haven't checked that out and you haven't gone to our Patreon page, while you're listening to this, go to Patreon and check out, you know, if you're not a Patreon member, consider being one. Uh, If you can afford it. If you can't, no big deal. Totally understand. Just a cheap plug. Back to the cast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to kind of go out of order from what IMDb says and more like, what we know from the main cast. Jeffrey DeMunn yeah. is the sheriff in the movie. And Jeffrey DeMunn was in The Mist. 
the Green Mile. Obviously, Frank Darabont like working with him. Uh, the original Hitcher, the original Hitcher, not the shitty remake. Yeah, that's another one. That's uh, X Files, the movie. I mean, the guy's been in everything, and yeah. he's just he's a classic screen actor. So seeing him in this, you're like, oh, it, this elevates it a notch. Mm-hmm. Um, his kind of pseudo love interest, who's the town diner hostess, is Candy Clark. Uh, she plays Fran Hewitt. Candy Clark actually is like a very well known. She's been in. She's been around for a long time. She's everything from American Graffiti uh, to the Man Who Fell, uh, uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie, Blue Thunder, Blue Thunder Zodiac. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good, good, you know, decent actress. Actually, not decent. Very good actress. I really like Candy Clark in this movie. I it, just like with every oh, so good. every actor in this movie, I like everyone in this film, especially who you're about to say, Donovan Leach. He he's an interesting dude. Like I think at one point he comes from a very interesting family. Like he he's he's uh he's kind of he was a part of a, a, a kind of pseudo punk neon new wave band yeah. called Camp Freddy. He's been all over the place. He played Hedwig and the Angry Inch on Broadway, uh, and which is if you don't know what Hedwig and the Angry Inch is, go check it out. It's one of the best rock and roll musicals of all time. He did like a stage show here in L.A. at the Roxy. Very interesting actor. Um, he was in a lot of like art house films, and then he's in mainstream movies like Glory. But then mm-hmm. he was in Cutting Class, which is like a kind of a. <laughs> Uh, a cult classic horror film because of the fact that Brad Pitt is in it. Yeah, it's like one of his his first movies. But he's also, uh, apparently Donovan Leach is also son of the pop singer Donovan. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I knew there was some sort of musical connection. Yeah. That's really badass because Donovan is a legend. And he's great in the role here as as Paul Taylor. And I love what Chuck Russell does and, and Frank Darabont do with this bait and switch at the beginning because, I mean, they perfectly cast him as the... The expected hero slash love interest of Meg Penny, aka you know Shawnee Smith, and it's a fantastic bait and switch at like the twenty minute mark with with him. And when I was younger, you know, I kind of like ever since knowing that he was gonna die, I didn't really pay attention to him when I was a kid. I, I loved his death and everything, but now I'm watching the film and I'm like, oh. He's really good here in this role, and it's perfectly cast, and everything about it works when he dies because he's such he's he's so good at, at the role that he's playing here. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it takes you off guard, and you're like, "Whoa, I did not expect that to happen." Holy shit! Yeah, uh, in in a very good way. That's for damn sure. Yeah, he's great. I mean, like you said, everybody's great. Um, Joe Seneca plays Dr. Meadows. Joe Seneca, I recognize him from the um, Walter Hill film Crossroads Mm. with Ralph Macchio. And he plays, he's kind of like an old school blues guy in that movie. Uh, Jamie Gertz is in it. That's worth checking out if you you don't remember it. He was in Silverado, Taking a Pelham 123. Great movie. Very similar to to uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, like a classic actor, just be- very respected A-list actor. And he brings a lot of gravitas to the role when he's on screen. Yeah, for the five, ten minutes that he's actually in the movie, yeah. but you don't even notice, you know. Del Close plays Reverend Meeker, very, very important, p- pivotal character in the film. And he has a very 
interesting backstory. He was a um, he was a he was an improv coach at uh, Second City, like back when when Dan Aykroyd and and Belushi were there, and uh, then he was also a freaking comic book writer as well. And I was no like, holy, like yeah, I was like watching all that's like cool. reading about him, and I was like, holy shit, that's crazy, because I only sort of know him from this role here, but his his background is wild. He play, He's in. He has a memorable role in the Untouchables. Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. Oh yeah. Um, and like you just want to punch him in the face in that movie. Um, anyways, yeah, he plays his role very well. That's a cool backstory though. I didn't know that about him. Um, Paul McCrane, <laughs> who of course Corey knows from Robocop. He plays Emil, aka the guy that melts. Yes, yes. And before he was Emil, and I know, and I know this for a fact because I've got weird backstory X connections to this guy okay uh, if you know what i mean was kind of offended that people only recognized him as a meal from robocop because he's like i was in fame damn it i was in fame yeah okay i was in er yeah okay but you're also in the blob where you got snapped in half and you're um you got turned into mush in robocop so that's what you're known for you're known for two fantastic film deaths Dude, so yeah, I'm sure he went through a phase where he was hating the fact that people only recognize him as one thing. But if you're still working in this business and you're still getting jobs and you're still getting hired, like, let's be honest, folks, like, that doesn't matter. And I'm sure he was probably at convention signing autographs. I mean, I (laughs) mean, more years later. Mark Hamill, you know, he he went through a phase where he wanted nothing to do with Star Wars in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, you know, kind of came back around. I think a lot of these guys and gals, I think, sometimes get upset that they're pigeonholed or whatever, but then then you get older and you realize, oh, wow, well, it's actually nice to be remembered for something, you know, anything at this point, you know. So, honestly, man, if if I went my whole career and I was just known as freaking the guy that melted in RoboCop, I'd be pretty happy about that. Yeah, it's like uh, what's his face from the Warriors, where he was he was in the thirty seconds of the movie, and he's like, "I was in the Warriors," you know, the big <laughs> yeah. dude. Um, anyways, Sonny Landon. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The big Ir- the guy Irwin who plays Keys. the cop. Irwin yeah, Keys. Irwin Keys. Yep, yep. Uh, and then really quick, Art Lafleur. Love that plays, guy. Uh, Art Lafleur is so great. He plays uh, Meg's dad, uh, and Moss Woodley. Uh, by the way. Uh, She's not that notable, but his the woman who plays his, uh, Meg's mom is also very good in this. I, again, mm-hmm. everybody's good in this. But uh, Art LaFleur play, plays the dad-slash-pharmacist. I mean, he's been in everything from The Sandlot, Field of Dreams, to Cobra. Uh, I know him. I, I, I love him specifically from being in the movie Trancers, which uh, you know we may or may not get to one of these days. Sure. And then uh, Ricky, Paul Gore, Ricky Paul Golden plays scott jesky who's uh who's paul taylor's buddy he's a scumbag and he's like a scum <laughs> he's he's the guy who wants to get laid in high school and he's you know he's doing everything he can the guy you recognize his face he's pretty much been in every like television series or you know like side characters here and there he's even been in alf yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's great. He's great. And I think this is his most memorable role. He, but he had that look, you know, um, we interviewed Jesus Garcia, which is our upcoming uh, Patreon exclusive interview, uh, a.k.a. Nick Corey. And they he talked a little bit about everybody had that look back then, the dark hair, 
you know, the, the olive colored skin. Like if you had that look, you got hired and you were that, you're like the buddy yeah. or you're like the good looking sidekick. Mm-hmm. And he plays that. Um, do you want to mention some of the standout side characters or do you want to wait as they unfold in the movie? Yeah, I kind of want to wait as they unfold because Me too. this movie has an insane amount of character actors that, you know, went on to become super big. Uh, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I kind of want to talk about them as we sort of hit them. Um, and let's if do I, that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Because there's, there's remarkably, like, a lot of them. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's really wild. Uh, yeah, it little, really So is. people, you know, men and women, uh, male and female actors will pop up throughout this, and then we'll shout them out. Yeah, yeah, and then I, we'll yeah. see if if we rec- if somebody recognizes, if somebody doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, man, it's uh, I'm I'm ready to rock and roll, dude. This this movie is just it's so much fun, and I cannot wait to get into it. Do we have anybody else? Uh, the score? Did you? Who was the? Um. Yeah, the composer was Michael Honig. He he worked on Jewel of the Nile and Mermaids and Nine and a Half Weeks, but. You know, he wasn't the main composer for those movies. I'd say the the com- the, the the score is like hit or miss. There's yeah. there's at times when it really stands out. There's there's a moment when it's very Carpenter esque towards the end. Yeah, uh, it's the second time I've said that Carpenter esque thing. But other than that, there's times when it's very unmemorable. And yeah. then the the final '80s butt rock kind of kicking song at the end, the ballad I love. And if I can remember <laughs> the lyrics or remember the the tune, I'll hum it at the end. I'm with you. I didn't really notice the music being all that, you know, really memorable. Here, like there were some some beats here and there that I enjoyed, and I think I picked up on what you are, were saying at the end. Uh, you'll mention it if we if we you know if you think about it when we get there. But yeah, yeah. music wise, it wasn't. It, but I'll say this: it didn't take anything away from the movie. So no, that's that's great. It, just, it was kind of like okay, yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. So there was one actor at the end in the credits. Did you notice that he got a and when they run down the credits at the end of the movie? No, and, and I didn't go, pay attention. And to Michael Kenworthy as Kevin Penny. Okay. And oh, I'm, I'm like, well, that's surprising. That's interesting. I wasn't sure if, if that, that got brought up at all. Why did he get like an and, which yeah. is kind of a, a big deal. Yeah. You know, I, I don't Granted, know. And was, we didn't actually talk about the two, the two boys, uh, Eddie and uh, Kevin. So Kevin was played by Michael Kenworthy. We know him from Return of the Living Dead part two and uh, which we had fun with. And Eddie was played by Douglas Emerson, who I always remember from 90210. He was um, he was one of their side friends that accidentally like killed himself by shooting himself like with his dad's gun when he was kind of like messing Jesus. with it. And and they, of course, like turned that into like this, you know, a thing of saying, hey, let's, you know, gun safety, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I still remember as a kid being kind of traumatized and, you know, because like this character just dies in like season one or two of 90210 and i'm like what the hell is happening like why is this happening right now but that's where i always remember him from yeah i mean i i just remember him from this i do remember that 90210 episode after you brought it up to me but i mostly know him from this because he's got such a great exit from the film he does Um, and then obviously you know michael kenworthy he was in Return of the Living Dead Part Two at the same year that came out. The same year, um, he was like a Macaulay Culkin esque, you know, blonde haired, foppish looking kid, 
And uh, his career didn't go, obviously, where Macaulay's did, but he had that same look, similar look, um, you know, the cute kid that you wanted to see get away from the bad guys. He was like the horror movie Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. Yeah, okay, um, okay. But yeah, why don't we get into the, the let's get pink, let's get jellyish, <laughs> let's get slimy, let's get acidic. And uh, let's get our stomachs churning with all that nastiness. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. Now, man is no longer the supreme being on this planet. The organism is growing at a geometric rate. By all accounts, it's at least a thousand times its original mass. Nobody believes me about what happened tonight. What did happen? You were there, you saw. Asmic life form that hunts its prey. Predator. I want that organism alive. I think you ticked it off. The blob. Terror has no shape. As as Vinkman would say, I feel so funky <laughs> after he gets slimed by Slimer. <laughs> All right. It. First off, love some, that. Some, somehow he wouldn't be saying that in this, though. He'd be dead. <laughs> oh, God. All right. First off, love that TriStar logo, baby. Always love that. <laughs> Ah, so good, dude. So good. So good. So good. And we have a great logo. We have a great title card. Such a good title card. So much better than Split Second because it kind of fades in. It comes in. Love it. All right, so the movie opens in space with a view of the Earth. The camera kind of flies through the clouds and comes into this sleepy mountain town. It's supposed to take place in uh, Colorado, but they filmed it in Louisiana, FYI. Uh, <laughs> they and they also filmed it in, in Louisiana in, like, the winter, so it was actually still pretty fucking cold there. They're like, well, okay. this is still cold. Um, <laughs> so camera kind of goes into this little town, and we get some... Pretty neat, you know, establishing shots of it's it's deserted, no one's around. Uh, we see some signs saying, like, think snow. So you kind of, you're getting the sense that maybe this town is dilapidated. Maybe it's it's kind of run down. And, uh, but that is the, the first 
bait and switch that Chuck Russell does in this movie. There are, are a few big ones that he does. And we, we mentioned one earlier with the main, like sort of what you think is the main character getting killed. But this is the first bait and switch because you think the town is maybe abandoned or something, but in actuality, everyone is just at the local football game. So and you, so they the camera kind of gets over to that point eventually, and then that's much more lively, and everybody's having a good time. So you're like, okay, it's not as bad as you originally first think that it is, you know. And uh, we see here we meet our main, our quote unquote main characters: Paul Tyler, uh, Meg Penny, and Scott. Um, as we know, twenty minutes in, two of those three will be gone. Hence the uh, air quotes of main characters. Uh, Paul is the quarterback of the high school football team. His buddy Scott is, you know, another player on the team. Um, and uh, Paul has a crush on Meg, the che- who's a cheerleader, who's, as Zach mentioned earlier, the clearly 30-year-old cheerleader in, in the crowd. But No offense, Shawnee, because you look great, but, you know. We're, he ain't seventeen. Were you? Were you? It's funny because in Mutant, you know, like like the the teacher lady there looks like she's like nineteen and she's trying to play like a teacher. And here, you know, you have a, a clearly an adult playing a kid, which is par for course for the eighties. And oh, by the way, another connection okay. with Mutant. Another connection with Mutant is uh, kids, like twelve year old kids dying horribly in the movie. True. <laughs> funny that and we did this back to back. I'm okay with both of those things. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, Paul's uh, thinking about how the right time to sort of ask uh, Meg out. And as he's playing, as, you know, as he makes a play and everything, he sort of gets uh, sacked out of bounds and lands, you know, on the Gatorade table, kind of has a little meet cute with with uh, Meg and then asks her out. Um, real quick, by the way, Meg Penny, her last name's Penny. That was Darabont doing Pennywise uh, or, you know, referencing Pennywise. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And cool. later the, the homeless guy, um, his name in the movie technically is Can Man, which is a reference to Trash Can Man from The Stand. So Ooh. lots. Ooh. And then, of course, we mentioned flag earlier so paul asks her out and you know she agrees i I like that though it's funny because he gets sacked and he's like meg got any plans tonight (laughs) you know it's funny it's really funny actually and it it works it sets it up perfectly i mean nothing bad can happen to our main lead paul tyler he's he's too he's too likable nothing bad could possibly happen to him well i was also going to say too the 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 cinematography, the the look of this film, mm-hmm. it's it's very high highbrow, big budget. Yep. It does not it does not ever feel like schlock, no. you know, like mm-hmm. low budge. Mm-hmm. And um, it's got a great look to it. The mm-hmm. this, the the camera shots and the football game for the thirty seconds as you see it, it's intense and uh, I love it. It's got that in that small town USA. <laughs> Uh, just it's like the Americana, Americana, baby. Yeah, that's I, from uh, the movie The Experts, by the way. It does feel like that. It feels like feels like one of the towns that they would have ran into in Phantasm when they were sort of like you know driving from small town to small town in the later ones, like you know number Arizona, three or whatever. Part two, but yeah, it's definitely part two. Yeah, yeah. It, remind, it reminds me of something like that. And honestly, like I love the idea of like living in one of those these little towns, but practicality wise i mean well they don't really even exist anymore i think at one point i'm up here at eugene oregon one point i think eugene looked like uh you know this town um 
probably just like five years ago. And then everyone came from LA and now it's like exploding. Well, and newsflash, small towns kind of suck because, yeah. uh, because you know, that's where the bull- there's more bullying that goes on in small towns and more like, you know, isolation and kids feeling left out because they're not a part of the cool group or whatever, cliques yeah. and all that shit. And clearly, I would never have been friends with the, uh, the, the I would have been more on the Brian Flagg side versus uh, the Penny side. No offense. Yeah. Like, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> Monta Vista sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and my and our my good friend Dean is listening right now. I know he is because every time he every time we do an episode, he chimes in right after, and he's like, he's like, oh, you should listen to this. And he always has great recommendations, by the way. And Dean knows firsthand my loathsome feelings about <laughs> Kennedy Junior High and Monta Vista, and just and I look at this and I'm just like, you you smug fucks, like you you people with your with your cool hair and your your cool clothes and I like that I like that Paul has a shitty Oldsmobile he's driving his dad's yeah. car you yeah. know and 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 uh and Scott has like a, a his his whatever pimp wagon has a big old dent in the door I'm <laughs> yeah. like okay that's cool I can dig that but I still wouldn't hang out with these douche nozzles <laughs> I probably wouldn't either dude I you'd I, be hanging out with Brian Flagg the three yeah. of us would be yeah. Dean my buddy Dean and you me and uh Brian Flagg would be you know d- doing all sorts of weird shit or yeah going probably going to see the horror movies and then later on chilling and hanging out yeah we'd be those two blonde fops yeah, we. I. I mean, I was. I was. That was me. I was the little blonde fop. I mean, as much as I make fun of uh, Kevin Dillon's hair, I kind of had Kevin Dillon's hair. <laughs> Speaking of Kevin Dillon, cut to our <laughs> anti-hero Brian Flag. Um, he is in kind of like up in the mountains because again, this is supposed to be like Colorado, um, and he's on a, a dirt road attempting to jump this dilapidated, broken down old bridge. Um, but his bike kind of stalls out on him and he crashes into the ditch. Uh, we immediately see this old homeless guy kind of clapping at him, but you can tell it's not really like he's not being a jerk, but he is kind of like ribbing him a little bit, but it's sweet. And, and, you know, I mean, Brian doesn't really get, you know, too mad at him right here. So, you know, but you, right now you don't know where Brian flag sort of stands, you know? At the local diner, we meet Sheriff Herb Gal- uh, Geller, uh, and he's flirting with the waitress or maybe the owner. I don't know if Fran owns it or if she's like the head waitress of the she's diner. Both. She's okay. a multitasker. Good, good. I, I like that. I like that she, she's, she, she was like the owner of it, you know? And she does a great job. Like you said earlier, uh, was it Cindy Candy? What's her name again? Shoot. Candy Clark. Candy Clark. There you go. She's fantastic. I, I think she's awesome. He's talking to Fran. And uh, they're also talking about how it's been a lean year with, with, without the snow. Uh, but Fran is kind of confident that things will pick up and tourists will flood back into the town. Uh, when, Cur- when Herb finally sort of asks Fran out, she kind of shoots him down. I think she's more of like a realist. She's like, I, I don't really have time to date anybody right now because I'm kind of running this place, you know. And, you know, Herb's like, okay, that's fine. But once the game lets out, everyone in town comes into the diner. It's it's boom. All of a sudden, just it explodes. So her pays his bill, and he tells Fran, he's like, hey, you know, if you ever want to hit me up, you know, here's my number at the police station. And he takes the check back from Franny or the, the bill, but he's already paid it. But then he looks down, and she wrote, I get off at 11 on the receipt, which is it's wow, nice. Quack, it, quack. 
It's sweet, it's cute, but it's also going to be a pivotal pivotal point later in the movie and thus, you know, ties into Herb's unfortunate demise, destined demise. Um, another one of the flip arounds that the bait and switches that uh, that Darabont and, and Russell do in this movie. Yeah, number one thing you want to see in movies is when people get killed. Like you, the people you see get killed are the people you you don't want to see get killed yeah. because that makes it more emotional. When, when one of the biggest faults for so many of these movies is they kill off people that that's why you cheer and you're like, yeah, fuck that guy. Oh yeah. But you're not supposed to cheer them. You're, you're supposed to be like, Oh no. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of, Oh no. Yeah. Throughout I, this movie. I think that is and then where Kevin Dillon doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is where this movie is most effective and where I th- why I think it holds up so well to this day because it doesn't follow or it'll follow a trope or a cliche just to flip it on its head in like 10, 20 minutes later. And I, God, you don't see that too much in, in movies at all. You know, I, I love no. Frank Darabont's writing. I really do. Yeah, I, I will say as much as people knock it, um, the Walking Dead was, and I know Frank Darabont was connected to it at one the point. Fir- the first season, the first season yeah. was his baby. It was so good at a, at creating characters that you genuinely liked, and then they would kill them off, and you'd be genuinely gutted. And mm-hmm. I know, I look, I know the source material's there, the original comic book series, obviously, it's it's it's, it's a classic, modern classic, but that's. That to me is 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 good horror, mm-hmm. you know. Prince of Darkness. I'm like, no, I don't want to see the people that got killed get killed. You know, like all the movies we love. You think about it, the people that die, are, are that that's what makes it better. So this movie does that. And the funny thing is, this movie kind of the only person you're happy to see get killed is the heckler in the movie theater. Yeah, oh, that guy's great. Yeah, that, that guy's that's, great. That's the best one. Other than that. Oh, well, look at what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah, that asshole. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> Me too. And he gets sucked straight to hell. So it's all, it's all <laughs> which great. Which is great. Which is great. <laughs> oh, look at this is what's going to happen next. Yeah. Shut up, dweeb. What an asshole. But I mean, he gets what he deserves, and that's what's, that's what's freaking hilarious. With his fucking um, mustache. Out, outside of the diner, we see, you know, everyone's going in, but we also see a truck bringing Brian into town. He's like riding in the back of it and he kind of hops out. Uh, Herb sees Brian and sort of follows him and uh, kind of follows him around the corner and then and catches up to him and he kind of gives him a little warning. He's like, you know, saying that Brian will be 18 in I think a few days or something like that. And if he gets in trouble again, it's, you know, no more juvie. It's, it's the big leagues and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, they're establishing that Brian's the outcast. He's had trouble with the law, comes from a broken home, yada, yada, yada 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 and of course this is at the beginning this is all you know darabont and setting him up as not the hero just to have it get spun on its head later yeah and it's perfect it's it's easy because this was the 80s when we could give two shits about kids that were at risk and it was their fault it yeah. wasn't you know it was, everything got blamed on them Right. And it's your fault that you're acting this way. It's not like, well, let's figure out, wait, is his mom's not around? His daddy doesn't even know. Uh, he doesn't have any friends. I mean, at one point yeah, he says, like, I'm mean, not used to people caring about me. Like, no one's yeah, ever signed so, up for that role. You know, and, and so shit like that are factors into make you 
into what make you who you are. Yeah. Uh, it's not his fault. He's he's getting into trouble. It's like, it, it's all those things. But it's, it was easy to do that in the eighties. In the eighties, it was like, oh no, no no, that's his fault. It's it, he 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 did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the book at him. Yeah, yeah. Throw him it's a fucking loser. Throw him in jail. Yeah, yeah, forever. Just put him, put him away forever. Mm-hmm. No one's gonna care. Now we're like, let's help him out. <laughs> well, at least, at least try. Give him a shot. <laughs> you know. Uh, Brian goes into the local garage uh, to borrow a ratchet set from Moss. Um, you were gonna mention Moss during the uh, at the beginning, but you kind of sort of moved past him really quick. Was that an actor that you was he an actor that you recognized? Honestly, I only knew him from this. Okay. Um, I like him in this, by the way. I love him. It's Bo, Bo Billingsley. He does a lot of... Uh, actually, you would appreciate the fact that he did... Uh, well, he was in uh, Halloween H2O, which is a solid sequel yeah. in the Halloween um, <laughs> franchise. It's a now, solid sequel. Now decanonized. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> but he was in uh, Cowboy Bebop. And Final Fantasy, he's a voice actor as well. So, um, oh shit, he, he plays Jet oh, Black. Oh shit, he's Jet Black in Cowboy Bebop. Ah, oh, yeah. fuck. Well, Diallo's gonna love that. He 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 gave me his DVD set of Cowboy Bebop to watch. I've seen a couple discs. I like it. I'm just not a huge anime fan, but I know Jet Black, and it's it's him. That's awesome. That's, that's did Diallo cool. want you to return that set to him? No, I he think he upgraded to something, so he just gave it to me. So I've okay. had it for like. Cool five years <laughs> i'm not a big anime fan but uh yeah i like no. him i like him in this movie i like moss the character and uh bo billingsley does a great job in it so good for him glad to see yeah he's, he's great he's, yeah he's, he's great. awesome again d- there are no bad actors in this movie everybody is in like every character is competently inhabited by an actor that no matter how small the screen time they nail it. Everybody nails it in this movie, and that right there is a testimony to Chuck Russell, the director, and the writing too. Yeah, because they have because they had good material to work with, and the um, actors too. Yeah, yes, and and the casting director. It's a, right there picking a good actors. So all around, and the producer too. I mean, all around, <laughs> this this movie is just just firing on all cylinders. You know, so the only only thing. Is the costume department? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at the time it might have been amazing, but now no, it's kind of. You wonky. tell me, Brian Flagg's white western shirt <laughs> with a leather jacket and cowboy boots, with his stupid ass. He, and 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 I also have to point out too, he's got this little. And, and don't get me wrong, guys, I'm not shitting on it at all. I'm just kind of being silly. Uh, he's got like a cool guy, police badge, a la, you know. The Rogues leader, David Patrick Kelly, <laughs> yeah. in the Warriors. But in David Patrick Kelly's Rogues character, it was a legit badge that he, uh, NYPD badge he had on his jacket. In this, Brian Flagg has this little, like, micro machines badge, the one that the cops give out to the little kids so they can say, Oh, I'm a junior sheriff on his, on his jacket. And I'm like, Yeah, that didn't work. It just didn't work. <laughs> Cause he, he's cool. Like never, he's got. I, I didn't think any anything of any of this. I, I oh, just, I analyzed the I, shit out. I, of I know. I and you were even texting me the other night, and I'm just oh, like, I blew okay. up your phone. I know. And it was all about Kevin Dillon. I'm like, oh my god, here we go. I just, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? This is no man. He 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 should look cooler because he's cooler. You know, he should he should look cooler. 
They should have ditched the mullet. The, the mullet did not work on him. Should have been just short hair. So we commend everybody in this movie going forward, except, except for the costume, costume department. There we go. <laughs> just let it be known. <laughs> back, back to the garage. Uh, Moss is working on. Uh, he's he's trying to like basically keep up the snow blowers and the plow trucks, even though there hasn't been snow for like a couple years or something. And and the, that's that is also too why the town looks like it's kind of impoverished because they just it, they're a tourist town and they haven't had snow for a couple years. But Moss believes that you know this is going to be the year that it's coming. Yada yada yada. And clearly they have a relationship. Clearly you know Brian knows them and everything. And so Moss eventually. Basically lets him uh, borrow his rent, his ratchet set so he can fix his bike, so Brian can fix his bike. And he just, you know, says, you know, there's like eight sockets in here. You, uh, They better be all back when they come back type of thing. So it's nice. It's cute. It's a good little scene. Set, sets up Moss a little bit, you know, and uh, yeah. and their relationship. So can, can I point out one thing, quick, quick, like side note mm-hmm. about um, Brian Flagg, who yeah. originally was offered the role of Brian Flagg. Can we talk about that? No, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Chad McQueen. Yeah, and he, he was doing – yeah, I heard about that, and he was kind of like blanketly – uh, turning down anything, any role that was that was attached to his dad, and yeah. the original Blob um, was Steve McQueen's. It kind of it kind of launched Steve McQueen. It, it did, it, right? That was that's yeah. where that it, yeah. So it did because I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan. I love yeah. all his work, and this was like his James Dean becoming the next big thing, right? Know? And and of course Brian Flagg riding the motorcycle in this is kind of a reference to Steve McQueen and everything. Oh, big but, time! But yeah, so his so Steve McQueen's son. I think I don't even know if you like read the script. I think he was just blanketly turning down anything that had to do with his dad in any kind. But he of said remakes. he disliked the script too. Mm, okay. Oh shit! Uh, but you know he pretty much retired from acting in the late in the late eighties, early nineties. You know he pretty much not he does he's he doesn't even act anymore. He's he he. Full time does like racing and shit like that. So where have I seen Chad McQueen in? You would know him. Uh, a mainstream audiences would know him as Dutch from Karate Kid. Oh, oh yeah, the bleach yeah. blonde. You know, come on, come on, Daniel. Yeah, you know. Uh, and then and then I mentioned him on the David uh, when we did the three way. When we did a three-way with David <laughs> on our watch list, uh, the, the VHS watch list. Yeah, one, one of Firepower. our most popular uh, watch lists of all time. It always well, get, pops up on the rotation for people. I mean, anything that David anything that David Irons touches turns to gold. <laughs> Shout out to our boy David Irons. Uh, and, and yeah, the, he was in Firepower with mm. Gary Daniels, a martial arts superstar, and Jim Helwig, a.k.a. The Ultimate Warrior. So oh, there you go. I I I love Chad McQueen, and I would have loved to seen him as Brian Flagg. It would have had a different tone about it though, yeah. Because Kevin Dillon brings a swagger, a sense of like attitude that definitely works. I don't know that many other actors that could have pulled it off, other than his brother, perhaps, who was probably too big of a star at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you're probably right about that. Um, and I do agree. I do. You know, 
I'm not in love with his costume either, but I do agree that he has a presence on screen, uh, Kevin Dillon, and he clearly has a good rapport with Shawnee Smith, which is something that Chuck Russell, you know, said behind the scenes. He's like, it was just fantastic. And but also, yeah. Donovan uh, uh, had a, had a really good rapport with her as well, which was which was also essential because they also needed Paul to have a good rapport with with Meg as well. So. Uh, I think it. I think that all. I think they got the right people for the job. Um, apparently, Donovan Lech, Lech, uh, and Shawnee Smith went to uh, Donovan's senior prom together. Yes, before <laughs> before they made this movie, he actually <laughs> took her to his senior prom. That's at like yeah. Hollywood High or whatever. Yeah, that was uh, that was a cute little. I saw that too in the IMDb trivia. That was a cute little trivia moment. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. Good. I like that. <laughs> uh, all right, so. Cut to the woods, and we see the homeless man. Uh, he, he's referred to as the can man um, from earlier. And now he's out at his shack, sort of crushing aluminum cans. He uh, looks up in the sky and sees a meteorite fly in and crash near his shack. And he goes to investigate. Uh, here's one. Cut to one of the funniest scenes in the fucking movie. Uh, and based on a real event from Chuck Russell's past it happened to his friend uh the the pharmacy condom thing hap- is a real thing that, that happened to one of his friends that's funny um so at the local pharmacy paul and scott are getting condoms for their hot dates that night uh paul's kind of like looking around the magazine section and scott has to go goes up to the pharmacist you we at, the, at this point we don't know that it that this guy is meg's dad but it's played by art lafleur the pharmacist and by the way back in the 80s you had to get condoms from behind the counter versus you know uh just going up and buying them now oh man if we've and if we've all we've all especially dudes we've yeah. all been down that road yeah and it's really uncomfortable and why should it be uncomfortable and, you know and i and i tell myself that when i was younger and i would go buy the condoms i tell myself why is this so uncomfortable i'm the one having sex and then i and then i get to the counter with my condoms and i'm like i look down and i just hand them my you know my money and it's you awkward and i don't know why it's awkward because i'm the one having sex <laughs> well and i'm sure women have the same issue uh, when they were teenagers buying yeah. tampons yeah you know yeah. it's and like it's, but who cares like god like let's let's erase these stigmas you know well, well it's 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 who cares for us because on the other side of the coin the person ringing us up for the condom or the tampons they don't give a rat's fuck and it's all like sort of like in our own heads you know or do they <laughs> do they they're judging us they are <laughs> they're judging us they're judging us like uh, uh mr penny is uh, the pharmacist so scott goes to him he's like he asked for for some condoms and like something else you know and then as he's sort of waiting in line but the uh, way he does it the way he does it though is really funny he's like hey come on yeah. you know uh can, <laughs> give me a pack of uh a pack of Trojans too, or why you're yeah, at and he's you know like he's like that. smacking his gum, you know, he's like yeah, he's he's yeah, he's being he's being that guy, you know, yeah, I, mean, I know, douche, <laughs> he is, he is, but he's he's a fun douche. I like Scott, and well, uh, I'm gonna take that back because he's not an actual good character. What comes he's later, a douche, so, yeah, he and, is. Uh, and look, we like them on screen, we laugh at them, but secretly, like we're the ones that hate them in real life. Well, and we're the ones in real life that. And he turns out to be a real scumbag too. Yeah, and and let's be honest, like I'm one of them. I know you were too. Uh, you know, we're the ones that sit back and go, "I hate these guys. <laughs> like, why are they so popular? They're not cool. They're stupid." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And they get girls drunk and molest them. So well, at least Scott does. Yeah. <laughs> but he gets what's coming to him, and, and we'll get to that. So We would never do that. No, and that's why we didn't get blobbed. So that's, that's why Scott gets blobbed, and we didn't, <laughs> because we're good boys, and he was a bad boy. Uh, so he's kind of waiting, <laughs> and the, uh, the Reverend Meeker kind of comes up to him. He's like, I haven't, I haven't seen you in church lately and all that kind of stuff. And as they're talking, of course, the pharmacist pops up with two packs of condoms, and he's like, regular or ribbed? And, you know, Scott's like, uh, ribbed, you know, and uh, which is like hilarious. And, you know, they're, Reverend kind of like is eyeballing him and, you know, he's feeling the heat. So he's like, oh, they're not for me. They're for my friend. And he points to Paul and he says, uh, he's, there's a naive girl that he's taking out tonight. That's too, uh, irres- and he's too irresponsible. So I'm buying the condoms for him. Right. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. And so, I love that. and so of course, Paul's down there, like just reading a magazine. He's looking over, everyone's looking at him. He's like, what's the hold up? You know, I'm completely oblivious to what's happening. And I yeah. love, he goes, I don't want to keep this girl waiting. And I love how the pharmacist says, that boy doesn't need condoms. He needs a muzzle, you know? And, Jesus, yeah. And I think th- this goes to your point of, like, it's neat on paper to live in a small town, but, like, you have no anonymity when you live in a town like that, especially, no. like, when, like, you know, the pharmacist is judging you and shit. Everybody's judging you. Yeah. And yeah. it's not fun. Mm-mm. I mean, let's be honest. People, people wax nostalgic. Oh, I wish I could have grown up in the fifties. Yeah, when when um, segregation still existed, mm-hmm. and you know, and lead poisoning was everywhere. There's a, there there's a theory now that the reason people were so violent back then, especially with like schoolyard bullying and everything, was because of all the lead paint and <clears throat> really? lead poisoning. Lead poisoning <clears throat> specifically increases your aggression and there are historical documentations like they can see from the history records that like couple like only very recently after like like uh the roman empire or whatever like installed like started working with lead and putting like lead pipes in and everything their society went up in aggression so it's not like a hard and fast rule but people suspect that Basically, the entire boomer generation is has lead poisoning, and that's why, you know, like, yes, you say, like, oh, the bullying in the small towns, like, stand by me. Like, there aren't really that many bullies anymore as extreme as they were back then, and it's speculated that lead poisoning has something to do with it. So would you say that's why nerds are so aggressive because they play with their lead figurines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, And exactly. they never—the ones who didn't paint them, like our boy Scott Zillner— and uh, the ones who just like touch them with their fingers and never wash them and then suck their fingers when they're eating Cheetos while they're oh, playing D and D, you know, they're touching their D and D. Oh, this is my mage. And then they touch their Cheetos and then put their Cheetos in their mouth. Yeah, that's they probably had a little <laughs> bit of lead poisoning, too. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. No, <clears throat> I you, I mean, I'm <laughs> one of them. I'm one of them. I mean, I don't know if you're wrong. You might not be wrong, buddy. I might not be. You might not be, man. Might not be. Uh, cut Cut back to the old homeless man. He's uh, examining the crashed meteorite. We see there's some kind of purple goo inside of it. The old man grabs his stick and kind of pokes it. And uh, as he's examining the, the gooey thing on the end of the stick, I like this effect. You think that it's going to fall on his hand when he lifts it up in the air, but it doesn't. He puts it down, and it shoots 
up the stick. That's another bait and switch that I think he does a great job with. So, you know, in showing that it has some kind of, you know, sentience or power to it. And uh, really cool. Just like lands on his hand. It's really actually kind of scary. Cut back to the the Penny household. Kevin is eating Jell-O. At the dinner table, I thought it said Kevin is eating Jeff, and I'm like, what did I write there? <laughs> so Kevin is eating Jello at the dinner table with his friend Eddie. Uh, they're about 12, and so we didn't talk about it at the beginning, but you and Dustin had a uh, did a watch list about a year ago where you talked about your traumatic films that you saw. This, for me, was one of them. When Eddie gets killed later, it scared the shit out of me, mainly because... Luke and I were like this, these, we were these two fucking kids, like, you know, and we were the same fucking age when this movie came out. Now, granted, I, we probably saw it like a year later, so we might have been a smidge older, but you know, we were pretty much the same damn age. And my God, that scared the hell out of me at the end when, when Eddie gets fucking blobbed. Well, he breaks that Ten Commandment of horror rule, you know, um, don't see a horror film that's out of your age bracket. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. So go, don't don't sneak into a, a, a the horror in. film. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look, he's the one that kind of breaks the rules, you know. He, and he's, he's like, ah, it's not a big deal. Yeah, you're right. He is the one that. So it's it's in the horror genre. He is he should be punished for breaking the rules. I I buy that. I I'm with you on that one. Still terrified the hell out of me. It's such a gruesome death for a 12 year old. You do not see that in movies at all anymore. And we talked, I mean, I probably even mentioned it on when we talked on mutant about, it, I can't remember, but I mean, that's another one. Like we just reviewed mutant as last movie yeah. we did. And that also featured like a 10 year old kid getting killed gruesomely. If you sort of put your imagination into it, because you don't really see it on screen, but you know that it's bad. Like as a, as a viewer oh, yeah. here, you actually see it. Yeah, this is probably one of the most grotesque kid murders ever yeah. Yeah. on yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll talk much more about it when we when we get there. But uh, Kim Richards is a close second in uh, Assault on Precinct 13. That hey, is just... this isn't vanilla. <laughs> that was so shocking the first time I saw that with you. <laughs> I could not believe it because I saw that. That was what that was what kicked off our our John Carpenter, uh, you know, thing that we did that took like kind of like a few months for us to go through them or most of them, you know. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw Salt and Precinct Thirteen. I actually saw the remake first, which I actually enjoyed. I enjoyed the remake, but that was shocking as fuck when Kim Richards gets blasted at the beginning because she's like eight years old. It's insane. <laughs> Man, hey, this late, isn't what I ordered. The late seventies and the eighties were not a good time for for kids on screen. But uh, well, there's a whole there, there's a whole subgenre of murdered kid movies. Yeah, I'm sure there is. We won't we won't get to them. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Kevin and um, Kevin and Eddie are kind of in a hurry to go see the latest slasher film. Eddie sort of spills the beans, and Kevin's mom tells him, "No, they can't go see it." Uh, upstairs, Meg is getting ready for her date. Paul arrives, and Kevin answers the door and kind of gives him some shit. You know, it's great. It's a little brother thing. It's awesome. Uh, the mom eventually, you know, lets Paul in. Um, Kevin and Eddie. Uh, head out to go spend the night at Eddie's mom's house or at Eddie's house. That's what they think that they're doing. Um, and then the mom sort of makes Kevin wear his jacket, even though it's hot out. And then the zipper kind of gets caught. This is uh, something that will come back later. 
of everything in this movie, this is the most telegraphed, like, script thing you could possibly do. And it's kind of almost grown, grown worthy. In a script that's so tight and so good that they had to put this in, it doesn't really amount to much. Like, you didn't need the zipper, this setup for the zipper. You didn't need this. Well, Shawnee Smith has two of the most grown worthy scenes in the movie. <laughs> okay. That one and then her finale at the end where you're like, oh, come on. Is those, it are the she... two, those are the two come on moments. Actually, he's got three come on moments. Is it when she jumps off the tanker and face plants yes. on the side of it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I have, I have thoughts about it. Let's, let, I have thoughts on, on the ending uh, there and how it shifted from her being empowered to her being depowered. Um, so let, let's talk about that when we get to that. Um, Meg comes downstairs and wants to introduce Paul to her dad before they, they leave. They go into the living room and he's reading his newspaper. And this is just the best fucking payoff okay. to the to the last scene. He, he puts the, t- the newspaper down. He, his face goes from a smile to a frown. And he just says, ribbed. That's great. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I love that Art dude. Lafleur. Yeah, what a great name too, by the way. I know, and and he he just he reminds me. He's like the dad in the Wonder Years, and they're not the same actor, but they have that no. same look that that sort Dan. of that square head, square body, but reminding me of like a like a fifty style actor type of thing. Yeah, like, like Paul Sorvino, yeah. like the Italian, the Italian dad. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, back in the woods, Brian is working on his bike when the old man sort of stumbles out and frightens him. A little bit of a jump scare, but it's cool because the old man is holding a little hand hatchet in the air and you think he's going to swing it down on Brian, but he swings it down on his own wrist to try and cut off the blob, but it doesn't quite like cut all the way through. And then the blob just immediately goes further up his arm to cover the, the wound and, and thus keep his hand still there. That was so fucking cool. Yeah. The special effects are great in this. They really are. They, 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 they really are. I'm they, not going to say that much more, but they're fantastic. And it's so, so realistic looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old man, he kind of goes running off into the woods with uh, Brian pursuing him cut back paul and meg are now driving down the road and and paul's shitty shitty car that you were talking about earlier is the oldsmobile yeah. or whatever the hell it is pontiac lesaber whatever the hell yeah. it is and, and it's nice that they didn't give him like a camaro or something they gave him like realistic you know shitty kid car yeah it's probably budgetary reasons you know obviously i feel like if it wasn't if they had an unlimited budget they would have given him like a convertible mm. mustang yeah something you know, cool guy car yeah <laughs> like those fucks in monta vista yeah how dare they how, I, how dare you how dare they how dare they not drive a 78 corolla like i did oh uh, my first car was a 90 i was graduated in 96 i think it was like a 92 nissan Sentra. you know i paid like a hundred dollars for it for my uncle it ran fine stick shift and everything but it was like it was like it was yeah it was ugly it was your first car but i went Dude. to i went to a very rich high school even though we weren't 
And there were a lot of, of kids. I saw so many kids get their new Mustang, their new, Me you know, too. 1995 <laughs> the Mustang. Bow on it. Yep. They get it. And then within the week, they've totaled it. Every single kid. Yep. And I was like, cool. When I have a kid, their first car is going to be a piece of shit like mine. Because, dude, I didn't care where I fucking parked. I, you know, I don't want like, I don't want my 16 year old kid to have to worry about their car, right? Just have fun, man. Enjoy. I- I love I loved my '78 Corolla. The only problem was whoever or our, a family friend who owned it prior to us rewired the engine. So in order to start it, I had to take like electrical grease, and there were these two circuits. I had to put a bunch what? of grease in, put it together, and then go, okay, okay, turn the ignition, and then start the car. And I can't tell you how many dates I'd be on where I had to do that. And it was so embarrassing, I'd be drenched in sweat, and they're like, "Is your car okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's okay." You had a working tape deck. Yeah, hey, there you, you know, go. That you just, doesn't matter. You just had to like basically like it was an old wind up car. It's like, yeah, like a Model this, T. These, <laughs> these two like plugs that the, the, who uh my my um my f- Robert Eday his 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 dad rewired it. Oh, I know what I'm doing. Didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So like all these circuits had to be like greased together. <laughs> And so I'd be like out in the front of De Anza College, like, I can do this. I can do this. Okay, we got it. We got it. You know, meanwhile, it's the rest is history with that thing, the 78 Corolla. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, you know, the people told their cars and you're like, God damn it. You guys do not deserve that. No, no. And that's what's, that, that was refreshing to see Paul driving a jalopy. Yep. What was considered a jalopy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I like Still that. Still is I, actually. It's like a detective car. Whatever the choice was, the reason behind it, I I like the choice that they made, and I think it was a better choice. Me too. I would have. It makes him more sympathetic. Agreed. Agreed. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies comics or video games they should definitely check us out oh well then thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time talking back hello la 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 i'm adam and i'm Corey, and we are the hosts of cartwright a seinfeld podcast we are breaking down every single episode of seinfeld as we watch it reliving this amazing show that's right it's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there you can find cartwright a seinfeld podcast on itunes spotify podbean and patreon la 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 (laughs) 
And now, back to the show. As they're driving, talking about sort of what happened prior with the dad, yada, 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 uh, the old man comes running out, and Brian's sort of following him. Paul hits the old man with his car, and uh, and and basically they kind of pick him up. You know, they're talking to Paul. They are Brian. They put uh, the old man in the back seat. Uh, Paul tells Brian to get in the car, too, to explain, you know, what happened at the hospital, and they put the old man into the back seat, and he's kind of mumbling about how it fell from the sky, fell from the sky. And he's like, keep saying that. Um, they get to the local hospital. Meg, Brian, and Paul bring the homeless man in. Uh, they tell the nurse that the old man's been hurt and has some kind of acid on his hand. The nurse receptionist asks if he has any health insurance. You know, she gives him some shit at the beginning. It's like, okay, I don't know. Do you recognize she... her? I did not. Okay, so so this this sequence, this the hospital scene, there's two notable actors one being the nurse okay and one being the and doctor she's played by Mar- margaret smith margaret smith is a stand-up comic who oh. is really known for her dry humor she's she's okay. like really well known um and so that's why she's kind of she, snarky at the beginning of it like is that why she's kind of snarky yeah that's her style and she was okay. like a writer on the ellen show for the longest time and oh, shit. i mean yeah like she's got actually very prolific career but yeah, Margaret Smith played the nurse and just had to wow. shout that out. And then is the other one the doctor? Yeah, yeah. The doctor is played by, um, you know, I think people, fans of like David Lynch movies would recognize him. Um, the doctor is played by Jack Nance. And Jack Nance is a David Lynch, like, mainstay. Uh, he was most known for playing the lead role in Eraserhead. He's yeah. been in Blue Velvet, Lost Highway, Dune. I think he was in River's Edge, uh, which is not David Lynch, but David Lynch-esque. Twi- I don't have my MD in, in front of me. Who was he in Dune? Uh, he played Nefund, Nefud, Nefud, N-E-F-U-D. Oh, okay. I mean, he was in, he was in, like, he's passed away, but just, you know, Love and a 45, which is a pretty decent straight-to-video movie. Uh, yeah, all the Twin Peaks stuff, Wild at Heart, um, the Hot Spot. He was I in probably, Colors. I love Colors. I probably recognize him he's from in, Wild at Heart because um, I did recognize um, him, and he's only in this movie for like three minutes. He doesn't really no, but it's a big deal. It, like, yeah. holy shit, I know this guy. Yeah, he was not in River's Edge for some reason. I thought he was, but he's not. Um, Breaker Breaker, which is a great Chuck Norris movie. Yada yada yada. Anyways, yeah, Jack Nance, R.I.P. Yeah, and I definitely recognize. And I definitely recognized him when I saw him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, immediately, because he's been in so much stuff. Yeah. So the nurse eventually, you know, rings the buzzers for the orderly. Orderly takes the old man back into room number three. And you kind of, this is where they kind of tell you that that Brian's not too much of a bad guy, because he kind of helps the old man. He's like, take it easy, old guy. You know, they'll they'll fix you up and everything. So... That's, you know, that kind of informs you of, of how Brian is. But, you know, he's going to go leave and Shawnee's and Paul's telling him to stop. And he's like, you know, if you if you need me, you know where to find me. So he's like, OK, I'm not going to stick around. Uh, we get a little bit of like a, a cut for time passing. Uh, Paul and Meg are still in the waiting room, sort of filling out paperwork. Paul decides to get up and go get them both a soda. And it's a little bit like down the hall. The soda machine's down the hall. So he walks over over there. But then he kind of like glances over and sees 
into the way the, the the exam room where the old man is under under a blanket and he's clearly looking like things are happening to him so you know he kind of goes in there to check on him and when he walks up to them to the the old man uh he sees something's like like he very wrong with him like he rolls over and his neck is all big and he's got like white eyes it's really a cool effect so cool yeah, yeah. i love it i do too and honestly like literally the movie at this point on it just goes, you know, and because you even texted me uh, the other night, you were like, damn, this movie moves quick. I'm like, yeah, it does. It's a fast film. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now Paul goes in to, to grab the doctor who you were just talking about. He's was kind of like talking to a patient, but that doesn't really pan out anywhere. And so the him, you know, doctor goes with him. He goes, oh, is this is this the hand injury pa- patient? And then. As they both walk up to the old man under the blanket, they pull the blanket back, and it's an amazing reveal of the old man half-digested with, like, you know, ooze everywhere, steam coming up. It is fan-fucking-tastic. I was grossed out by this as a kid. Now I'm, like, fascinated watching it. Yeah, me too. Me too, dude. Um, obviously the doctor, I mean, he, I think even the doctor screams when, when he, he sees that, you know, he's like, Oh my God. So he runs, uh, runs for the nurse and Paul sort of runs into the doctor's office to call the sheriff. Uh, Paul's back is to the door and that should be noted. He doesn't see the blob is sort of behind the closed door. It, well, you know, the door's open, but it's closed against the wall and it kind of slowly moves and the blob is there. Uh, uh, and the, it's kind of goes, it's going upwards. Right. And so Paul's on the phone, he's talking to the sheriff. He's, he's, he's telling him he's at the hospital with Meg Penny and Brian flag was here too. And of course, like the latter sort of gets his attention. And as he's talking to the, the sheriff, we see like some acid dripping from the ceiling onto the desk. And he's like, Paul doesn't notice like the first one, but then Paul notices the second one. And he like, he like looks up, and as he's looking up, the blob just falls on him, and he screams. In the waiting room, Meg hears Paul scream. She runs into the doctor's office, and now the blob is fully consuming Paul and sort of dragging him out the window. Now, this is... Uh, let me just finish it out. So it's it's kind of like pulling back on his face and Shawnee Smith, or I should say Meg, is you know, she's startled. She goes to grab his one exposed hand and, you know, his hands all twitching and everything. He She grabs it. She's pulling oh. and, and his face is like getting ripped open. It's like his jaw and his head's melting. And then his hand just disconnects and he gets sucked out the window and she falls over and kind of sort of passes out with his hand wriggling on the ground. Now... Oof. This is a the my favorite kill, favorite death in the entire film. It was filmed last because they knew that it had to be effective. And it was um I forgot his name. I just watched a 30-minute documentary on him. But the main guy who worked on the special effects, they kind of learned as they went along. The the special effects kind of like they had to learn things as they went along. So he suggested they do this one last, and thus, basically, they would have all their skill sets to make it as as effective as possible, and they used so many techniques that they learned over the course of filming this movie that they wouldn't have known if they had done it sort of in order, and I think that was the right choice because it looked amazing, and then the only thing I'll say about it is 
Shawnee Smith was expecting because the director told her that it was going to be like a fake person, like just a body thing. It's really Donovan Leach in there. So when she rounds the corner and you see that shocked look on her face, that's because she was not expecting to actually see Donovan Leach there. So that is actually Shawnee Smith's reaction for real. That's cool. Yeah, it is definitely the most one of one of the most probably the most memorable death in the movie. And I think that was what garnered the cover of Fangoria magazine yeah. when it was being highlighted, spotlighted. Uh dude, I didn't know that. That's cool. Cool uh cool dips of knowledge. And and so apparently Donovan Leach talks about and even, you know, the director knows, everybody knows, like they they had to shoot those scenes quick because that is really his face getting pulled back like that. And and what they said is how it feels is akin to being waterboarded. So oh, essentially Donovan Leach was waterboarded on set here. I mean, you know, he he didn't Yikes. have any complaints about it, but it was extremely uncomfortable. Gross. Well, yeah. yeah, it looks it. Yeah, it does. But it's my God. And then like not even like so it's two parts. One, you get him that one shot with his actual face, which is fantastic. And then you get like what happens to him where it melts like his eyeballs and it's so gruesome. And we, we talk about like how gruesome the death is later for Eddie, like this 12 year old kid. But here, too, like this kid is supposed to be like 16 and he's dying a horrible fucking death. Everybody does. Yeah, it's, it's like. It's acid on your body, so it's eating away through your flesh, and yeah. you feel every ounce of it. Every bit of it. That's what's that's what's terrifying about it. And it's it. a slow death. Mm-hmm. It is a slow death. Even when you're it's not in like you're it, being like... thrown into a fire pit. No. Oh God. God. Oh, this movie freaks me out sometimes. Ah. I love it. Oh. Ah. Uh, outside the scene, you know, uh, outside. The hospital, Sheriff and Deputy Briggs are there. Um, they're discussing the situation. I believe this is the first time we see Deputy Briggs for the first time. Uh, you know, McCrane, a.k.a. Emil, a.k.a. the guy that melted in Robocop. Uh, <laughs> Meg is kind of telling them what happened, but they don't believe her, of course. They think she's just hysterical. And as they're talking, a police car pulls up with Brian in it. So, so they did catch Brian, and that's when Briggs is like, I think we caught our man, you know. Yep. Cut to makeout point where Paul's friend Paul's friend Scott is making out with Erica Aleniak. There you go. And Some people dance in the distance. Uh, I'm coming. I'll be ready. Baywatch theme song of Baywatch. Of Baywatch the fame and, and Under Siege. Under Siege <laughs> and Chasers. Hmm. And if you don't know Chasers, <clears throat> you should. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You heard point. it here, folks. <laughs> well, she was married to William McNamara at okay. one point, the actor, okay. uh, who's known for kind of playing like, nice. you know, people know who William McNamara is. Um, and they were married, and then they did Chasers, and they've got a scene in Chasers. Oh, cu- it's not like, like uh, it's not like Alec Baldwin and uh, Kim Basinger in The Getaway. That's what I was gonna. I was gonna say, is it like them in The Getaway? But you know, there's a lot of intimacy there. Okay, it's, 
a little bit like Karyotis. It's not Karyotis and Mickey Rourke and Wild Orchid. <laughs> uh, a little intimacy there. It's not like no, I'm kidding. Oh, it's not uh, like a uh, Holly Berry and uh, and and Monster, right? Because isn't that another Billy Bob one? Thornton? Yeah, that's another yeah. one that's that's famed. Like people think that that might have been real sex, like on screen, kind of like uh, the Wild Orchid and whatnot. Yeah, this is more just like you know, make out, make out, make out. And then you'd be like, whoa, whoa, I've seen more than I thought I was going to see. Chasers. Chasers is actually a pretty decent decent flick. Tom and, Berenger and Erica Leniak. And this is one of her earlier roles, too. Or, like, probably one of her first roles. I think this was her first one. Um, yeah. I mean, it's no secret. She's a Playboy model. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I mean. But, but, but then wanted to be respected as an actor. And I think she did a pretty decent job. She's a pretty decent actor. She was good in Under Siege. Yeah. No, she was great in her season. And, and Chasers. The, then the fa- the famous scene with her coming out of the cake was fantastic. Yeah, and she was also in Bordello of Blood. <laughs> I hate that movie. All right, so I wanted to like that movie. because I wanted as, to like it because I, I yeah. liked Dennis Miller I, at the time. Too. Now I loathe Dennis Miller. I know. I gave Dennis Miller a shout-out one time on Podcast After Dark, and everyone got upset, and I was like, uh, I was really? I was referencing the 80s Dennis Miller. Like, I like on one of our Dennis. shows? No, no, I did it on, on a, you know, on the Instagram feed, you know, for the birthday. Oh. Yeah. So I, I always I call 80s Dennis Miller the same as I call old Chuck Norris. I love old yeah. Chuck Norris and 80s Dennis Miller. Love, yeah, I don't love gun toting Republican crazy man Chuck Norris. Yeah, me neither. Um, so back to Erica Laniac. <laughs> She's getting drunk, by the way, uh, on on Scott's mixed drinks that he's creating. Uh, he, he's kind of like, he's just, he's clearly just getting her drunk. Um, when the cups are dry, Scott sort of goes to the trunk of his car and makes these two, two new drinks from this elaborate bar system that he has in his trunk. It's he's cool guy. He's I'm the cool guy. And I get the girls drunk and we all have fun. But in actuality, you're a date rapist. You yeah, are and, just a rapist. Yeah. Down to like, he's got class rings hanging out yeah. there. Like, yeah. Cause he, he even says like, you know, she's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh baby, don't worry. You're my girl. I gave you my ring. Didn't I? Like they give him a lot of shitty sleaze in like a four-minute scene, they really set him up for deserving what happens to him. Yeah, he's not good sleaze. He's bad sleaze. He's bad sleaze. I'm good sleaze. He's bad yes. sleaze. Um, so he's, he makes makes her, you know, makes her a mixed drink. Uh, she's passed out in the front seat. He, they're sort of in the woods at Makeout Point up by the, the hospital, which was a cool little point. She even's like, oh, what's all those lights down there by the hospital? I like they even set up that they're near the hospital. Like the, the, yeah. the script, the script is very, very tight. It knows what's happening and it knows where the blob is at all points in time, which is really cool. And I also like the effect of the can- like. So Scott's making his drink, and the camera kind of pans sort of through him under the trunk, and you see now on the ground just grass separating as the blob is moving closer. The grass is just moving. Really cool effect. Awesome. You don't even see the blob. Just a cool effect. You don't. And and what's about to happen next? It's a little suspension of disbelief in this film because, you know, it's we're talking about hot like. Um, gelatinous acid attacking your body and you don't hear one peep yeah yeah so so erica is passed out in the front seat and it kind of goes up to her but they you know they cut it so scott's like okay i'm coming back you know i'm and gonna go get my gonna go root the corpse yada 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 i'm gonna go pull a bill cosby on you (laughs) yeah yeah 
Hey, hey, hey. I will say that I do like that he was like, he's like, oh, it's like a sauna in here, right? So, like, that's cool. But in this movie, there are, I think the movie makes sense in a lot of ways. This is the one death slash gag that I agree with you. Time-wise, it wouldn't, like, it would have taken too long. Like, he... I was even watching it, knowing what was coming, and I was like, "I was like, they need to get that blob there quicker than than what they did." Like the blob, sort of, you don't see him until he's sort of done mixing the drinks. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like it didn't have even enough time to to do what it's gonna do to Erica Alaniac. But whatever, suspension of disbelief, like you said, I do think this is one of the few times in the movie where it, the script isn't all that tight when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, but Scott gets back in the car. He just thinks she's passed out and he starts rooting the corpse. He does a little sly, a little, Oh, it's a little hot in here. Let me unbutton your shirt. And then he sticks his hand into his, her chest and his hand gets sucked into her chest, like literally. And as it does, like, Blob tentacles start shooting out of like up his arm. Her face caves in, which is that's a cool effect. And then that's more, cool. yeah. I like that. And and more tentacles shoot out. And then he's kind of getting grabbed. But then it cuts to the outside of like him screaming. And I love how he kicks out the window with his boot. Now that's something like I like that part of it. I thought that was effective. And then the car just kind of rocks. And and you know that's it. They they got it. Yeah. It this came out after Creepshow two. And, mm. uh, and, and my favorite segment of Creepshow 2 was the, the raft, raft, yeah, which is a great short story in itself from the skeleton crew, the, uh, Stephen King book mm-hmm. skeleton crew. Yeah. And, um, it reminded me of that when the main character <laughs> like M- the molests the girl on the, yeah, cause yeah. she's a passed out on the raft and yeah. he's like, Oh, I want to see what's going on. What, what, what's doing under here? No, Matt, no wonder so many, uh, kids are perverts, uh, you know, because it's like you see it on screen and you're like, well, that's acceptable. Should I do that? Okay. Dude, because- I I loved Creepshow 2 when I was a kid. And I, Luke and I watched the shit out of the raft. Like that was yeah, our too. favorite segment. I watched it a year ago with Myra. I still enjoy Creepshow 2, but I was shocked by how gross that is. Like, like that character, they made the main character like molest the girl while she's half melted i mean he didn't know it at the time but i mean even if she wasn't half melted he's still molesting a girl that's asleep on the raft like he's i mean maybe they do it just so when he dies at the end of it that you know it's okay but i was watching that i was like this is this is wrong this is all kinds of wrong yeah i mean it goes a little bit into the uh like this is why the guy gets his comeuppance right, maybe right but still it's still nasty so this reminded me of that yeah. like it was a little bit of a not a ripoff but maybe they saw that and they're like oh let's use that you know that's good uh maybe that's what they were thinking when it wraps around his arm and and he freaks out it's so intense because you're like oh it just feels painful yeah. it feels painful every death in this in this movie feels painful yeah this one in particular uh, and then when he kicks the screen out, when he kicks the the glass out of the car with his boots, I'm like, oh, he's wearing cowboy boots. Is everybody wearing cowboy boots in this movie? <laughs> Another thing we have in common with mutant. Uh, when we when we Ca- wondering if cowboy <laughs> and <laughs> judgment Night with yeah. our boys yeah. from talk back, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, with uh, with Tim and Dean on Talking Back, uh, you guys will, I don't know when that episode's coming out, but uh, I'll, I'll post on Instagram. Zach and I were on there talking about Judgment Night, and uh, Cuba Gooden Jr. Uh, is running around that entire movie with cowboy boots, and we were wondering on, on the... Um, the mutant episode, because Wings Hauser had cowboy boots, how comfortable they actually are to walk around in, and they are not very comfortable at all. You better have some worn-in boots, and yeah. we're not talking Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man boots with duct tape all around them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Harley, when are you gonna get rid of those fucking boots? Don't don't knock my boots, Harley. I think our buddy at Dead Alive store, he was uh, talking about he had boots for a while, and they're not comfortable. I used to wear snake. I still have them. Snakeskin, uh, uh, diamondback snakeskin boots, and and I would try to wear them on a regular basis, and no, not so comfortable. I I, I had my black boots uh, for when I cosplayed as Mister Blonde to the Homecoming, and <laughs> and and they were fun, and I wore them occasionally, but that was pretty much it. So I had I I think we I think as a it's the rite of passage for all males to have cowboy boots at one time, and then realize that cowboy boots are impractical and not comfortable. Yeah, you know who wears cowboy boots on a regular basis and can pull it off? Real cowboys. Yeah, that's right, because they can mm-hmm. handle the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> you can't reuse bits, buddy. You gotta come up with a new bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's our you know what that's a new rule on podcast after dark you can't reuse bits shit you're like god damn it you're like it, you're like i could feel it coming out of me too it was building up it's a goddamn blob oh, <laughs> oh richard nixon <laughs> all right cut back to meg she's, she's in bed crying her mom comes up to give her a pill to help her sleep she says yeah and uh, that's a trope of like yeah. that's a real thing dude like the yeah. chicks hooked on valiums uh here take a valium sweetie take a valium everything fuck will that. be okay fuck that dude just just bury bury your emotions nothing nothing bad will come from burying your emotions at all no. No, take a valium and it's good for you <laughs> Yeah, that he needed some Valium probably. Oh, of course I did. <laughs> Try to fuck this country over. You should go back to the Bill Cosby one. <laughs> the jello and the pudding and the boop doop and the little roofie and the roofie. Someone should have someone should have blobbed him. <laughs> he got blobbed in real life. Yeah, he's, uh, dude, he's getting blobbed right he's now. He's getting blobbed right now. <laughs> Fucking guy. Uh, uh, Meg asks her mom if if she be- if if her mom believes her. You know, of course, mom says you're safe. That's all that matters. And uh, it turns out the light. And Meg kind of takes the pill and puts it puts it down. It was kind of in her hand. Clever girl. Uh, cut to the blob sort of moving away from Scott's car, going into a storm drain. At the police station, the sheriff and Deputy Briggs are interrogating Flag. Briggs is very antagonistic to Brian. He clearly hates him. You can, I, I even think there's probably, maybe they're, you know, maybe knows, knows him from family or something like that. But there seems to be a bit of a connection there. I think he's just pissed that he has no hair on the top of his head. Yeah, and, and Kevin Dillon has extensions on his head. He's like, <laughs> he's why like, couldn't I have gotten fucking Can extensions? I get some fucking extensions? Come on, guys. I'm bald up here. 
I got like the uh, like the Jean Luc Picard before it was cool. I'm 25 years old and I'm fucking balding, guys. Come on, can I have a wig? No, you're giving all of it to fucking Kevin Dillon over here, fucking Adonis. God That's damn why it, that guy's bitter. That's why that guy's bitter. You're right. You're, you're. I think you're right on that one, dude. Uh, he. I like how he gets into like Brian's face and he like like inches away. You know what I mean? Like right into him, kind of give him some shit. You know, and yeah. fucking Brian just licks him i was like yeah dude fucking get that dude that. out of your face man i love that i am telling you that's why kevin Dill- kevin dylan's a really good actor he really is like you know un- unfortunately he's got that brother syndrome where he gets co- constantly compared to his brother yeah but uh he's a really good actor and 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 he's like you said in the outset of this episode, everybody does a great job mm-hmm. everybody's great in it yeah but kevin dylan he's a good protagonist where he like one minute you kind of like, nah, I don't know if I like this guy, but then he has those little moments where you're like, oh, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he grows on you the more the movie goes on, which is. And then you have moments where you say, I really like this guy. Why does why does my Bill Cosby sound like Randy Newman? I don't know. <laughs> I don't Maybe know. Maybe go and little roofies in your drink. <laughs> and then the blob comes in and go blink, blink, blink. <laughs> <laughs> you got a friend in me. You got I'll a give blob. You, you got a blob in me. <laughs> you got a blob in me. Stick your hand down the girl's blouse. Get blob all over your m- mouth. Hand. <laughs> that doesn't rhyme with mouth, but whatever. <laughs> then you die a painful death because you got a blob in me. <laughs> There you go. Winner. Winner, winner. I had to finish it. I had to finish it. I'm going there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where I am. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the he licks him. Licks his face. He licks his face. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. Uh, the sheriff takes Briggs to the side and tells him, you got to let Flag, you know, let Flag loose. He's got, you know, the sheriff's. You know, he's smart. He's like, he's got no marks. He's got no blood on him. He didn't do it. And of course, that's why he's a sheriff. Yeah. Though. And that's you know why Briggs is not, you know, that's why yeah. Emil is not. He, that's why Emil cl- clearly went off to do, uh, to become a gang member later after this movie. <laughs> uh, you hit by a Robocop, then you explode all over my top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. Uh, uh, let's see as Brian is leaving the police station uh, Meg drives up next to him she came down there to bail him out she wants to talk to Brian about what happened uh, she's a rich girl. She is a rich girl. She she also was going to bail him out with a credit card. He's like, yeah. I don't think they take plastic here. That was cute. I was like, that's yeah. cute. I like it's that. It's smart. It's smart. Great, yeah. great writing. No, it's awesome. Uh, Brian says he's tired and hungry. And he's like, and he's like, I'm just going to go into the diner and get a bite to eat. Although I find it interesting that the diner's right across the street from the police station, essentially. And uh, yet, you know, he had to, the sheriff had to give Fran his his number, you know, to the to the police station. But ah, whatever. He's a busy guy, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so they go in there. Uh, to, he goes in there to get a bite to eat. Fran says they are closed, but she'll make him a sandwich. And she seems to, like, clearly like Brian. She's like one of the few like I, I guess adult figures in town that will give him, you know, the the time of day. That don't they don't see him for the trouble that he is, but see him for the the good kid or the potential kid that he is, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, she's a motherly figure. And that's cool. I like that. I like that there there was someone actually on Brian's side uh, in this movie, you know? And she makes him a sandwich that, even thinking about it, makes me want to eat it. It's like I sourdough know. with turkey and mayonnaise I and know. lettuce. I would not have given half sandwich. of it to, uh, to Meg. Fuck Meg. I would have eaten that whole fuck- thing. No, I would eat that whole, whole, oh my God, it looks so good, like good fresh sourdough. Yeah, dude, yeah, the bread is like so thick, and oh, dude, it looks awesome. I love me a good good sandwich, dude, seriously. Good turkey sando (laughs) with like iceberg lettuce. Yeah, man, it looked looked really good, not going to lie. Good good job, uh, good job, Fran. (laughs) Good job, Fran. (laughs) Or, Or what the costume department lacked for Brian, the prop department made up for in sandwich, so. Good this job. Is true. Good job, prop department. Yes. Uh, Meg follows Brian in to sort of ask for his help. Uh, no one believes no one believes her, but Brian was was there, you know, and uh and the thing on that man's arm, you know, killed Paul and whatever it is, it's getting bigger. Brian's kind of a dick and asks her if she's strung out on drugs. She gets kind of pissed off and tells Brian that, you know, he acts all cool and everything, but he's just full of shit, just like everyone else in this town. I like that. Call him out on his shit. That was cool. It was a good check. It was a good check on Brian. Uh, Brian kind of feels bad and, and offers his officer, offers her half his sandwich, something that Zach and I clearly would not have done because we would hey, have eaten have it all. Sandwich, come on. Did you want you just just eat the sandwich? It's all good, you know. Mm-hmm. But he did. See, it is cute because he goes, he sort of snickers and he's like, "I never heard you say shit before." He's like, "What was that like for you?" And this is where I think you yeah. were. You're 100 correct. Like. D- a different actor would have maybe landed those lines differently and they wouldn't have worked, but it came out, you know, kind of flirty, kind of cute. Like it didn't come out dickish when he said that and it made her laugh. It, this is, that's literally the piece of dialogue that I think it worked the best for him. Like that was good for him to, to, to deliver that. I'm, I'm making any sense there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is one of like maybe two or three moments he has with her. In this movie, where yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, you're well, like, like you're, you're 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 doing it. You're, you, you're 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 cool. You're cool. Like they clearly have chemistry right here. Yeah, and he's he he knows he's got swagger. Like that's a moment where he shows his swagger off. Hell yeah, yeah, you know. Cut back to the sheriff's station. Herb is on the radio talking to Deputy Briggs, and he's uh, he's out there hunting, you know, the killer or whatever. You don't really know what he's doing. Uh, good little moment. Sheriff's kind of talking to the not receptionist. We had the, I had this problem with the car episode. I don't know under I don't quite know what the person working at the police station who answers the phone is called. And I feel bad calling them a receptionist, but that's just from my ignorance. So I just apologize. They're the chick behind the counter. (laughs) Oh, oh. (laughs) no, no. Yeah. It's, 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 um, and she's in, unlike the car, this lady is clearly not a deputy, you know? No, but 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 it's you know it's it's the, the, operator. the police operator, yeah. Basically, there you yeah. go. The, like this, yeah, the police operator. I, that sounds much better yeah. than receptionist. Um, he's kind of the chick with the phone. <laughs> oh. oh, welcome to politically correct, politically incorrect. Well, Dr. Dark. well, if if you want politically incorrect, go back and listen to our Adventures of Ford Fairlane episode. Oh, <laughs> I think we pretty much hit every note on that one. Yeah, and it was a 
fucking blast to to break down and review. Oh, Man, that episode my, was fun. One of my favorites. Yep. It's one of my personal favorite podcast after dark episodes. Adventures I, of Fort Fairlane. Was super intentional. <laughs> uh but it's a good little scene. I like and again the sheriff, great job. You know, uh was it Demun? His name's Demun. Jeffrey Demun, yeah. Yeah. Of course. He he's awesome. And of course, you think because of how confident he sort of is and caring he is that he's going to make it. He's going to survive all of this, right? And uh, right now he's saying, you know what? He's like, he's like, I'm worried about everybody, but right now I'm really worried about a friend. And he looks down at the at the note that says, "I get off at 11," and he kind of grabs his hat and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna mosey on out of here." And unfortunately, this is pretty much the last time we're gonna see him. Uh, back at the diner. Fran gives Brian and, and Meg a piece of pie to share, then goes back into the kitchen to sort of clean up. The main kitchen sink in the back appears to be clogged, and she asks, or she kind of tries to clean it. Fran tries to, you know, clean it, but uh, the cook, the main cook, George, he goes over and he's like, nah, I'll take care of it. And he grabs a plunger, starts plunging it. You know, nothing really works. He sticks his hand into the the drainage thing, pulls out some slime. And this scene, even now, even now, even though I know oh. what's coming, it freaks me out when he sticks his me hand too. in there. Me too. I always think, I, I even when I watched it this time, I always think it's going to grab his hand. Look, dude, I cringe when I stick my hand in the sink to mm-hmm. pull food out, and I know there's no one near the garbage disposal yes. switch. Yes, because I just, I just, I just go there. I'm like, what if suddenly it turned on, a la maximum, maximum overdrive? overdrive. Yep. Who made who? Who, who made, made you? you? <laughs> bro, bro, a hundred percent. The exact same thought goes through my mind. And I got to say, I've only stuck my hand into the drain maybe five times in my entire life because I am utterly terrified of doing it. And, uh, and dude, every time I do it, one eye is looking over at the, at the garbage disposal, you know, like the switch. And I am terrified that it's just going to go off. Yeah. I mean, look, I do it all the time. You know, if you, you stick a lemon wedge down there and you're suddenly going to pull the rind out and, you know. Get glass that falls in there. You got to pull the glass. The out. glass shit. Yeah, that that's the worst when you fucking break a glass in there. Suddenly, and You got to get all the pieces and you know. Yeah. Yep. Next thing you know, it's who made who? <laughs> who made you? And you're pulling out a stump. <laughs> Ain't nobody found you. We're not doing that movie, by the way. We're not. We're, there's no reason to do that movie. Not right now. We've got so many other movies we got to do first. That movie's um, like, of course. Um, yeah, so I'm going to negate what Zach just said, and we will be doing Maximum Overdrive at one point. I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting for the Vestron Blu-ray to drop from like 27 bucks to something a bit more reasonable, but if it it was 1999, uh, we would have been, we would have done it already. That's my point. Make it 1495, gladly do it, but not at 2799. Yeah, because even, uh, Vestron stuff's a bit expensive, because even Return of the Living Dead 3 was an expensive movie. Yeah, and dare I say... Like too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I completely agree that Vestron Blu-rays are too expensive. But maybe we're or maybe we're spoiled by uh, by Mill Creek and their and their seven dollar Blu-rays. You know, dude. No, no. I I will say, Ronin Flicks, Scorpion releasing, uh, two independent Blu-ray companies. Fun City is Mm. another one uh, worth checking out. Oh my God! The the, the slip covers and the in the in the 
exclusive artwork these guys mvd dude yeah mvd's got you know, some great shit they their price points are hella low compared to that yeah. like come on vestron it's, give it the program it's just vestron it's just the the vestron just, blu-rays vestron vestron put on a uh a little monsters at like 29 yeah. and, and it's now down to like 14 bucks and I, I get it like if they sell enough copies they'll probably reduce the price which is yeah. fucked up to the people that bought it at like full price you know? yeah but but it's but that maximum overdrive has been in, sitting in my fucking uh, Amazon Prime you know Amazon uh, wish list forever. I'm just eyeballing it. The moment it drops to a reasonable fucking price, I'm getting it for us, and we're gonna be doing it. That's my that's that's my point. Like, yeah, we're not doing it until it drops yeah, down a little I, bit. I'm not paying sixty dollars for us to do fucking maximum overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> you know. God that's damn. Exactly. Uh, Have a sale for God's sake. Come on, Vestron. people. Come on, Vestron. Come on, Vestron. Who made who? Who made you? Ain't nobody doing you. Because even my wife loved it. Because she saw I showed it to her for the first time like a couple of I love Maximum ago. Overdrive. Yeah. And she, 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 was, she was like, Yardley Smith is annoying as fuck. And I'm like, yes, she is. Well, she's annoying as fucking everything. She was annoying as fucking <laughs> Legend of Billy Jean. Legend of Billy yeah. Jean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that fucking movie. Let's get back to some Jello. <laughs> Let's get back. Give me talk about the blob and the, taking advantage of the little women in the in the in the bathroom stall. Stop. Wait, what? Mr. Cosby, we're not talking about bathroom stalls right now. Oh, we're not. Okay. <laughs> so as we were saying, um, we all we all think that his hand's gonna get it, but it's actually better because as he like looks at the goo on his <laughs> the semen the on his goo. finger. I mean, it's totally KY jelly. (laughs) The sex lubricant. (laughs) The sex lubricant. And by Yasu! (laughs) So, one of the, on the documentary, or on the Blu ray, one of the the special effects guys were talking about how bad he felt for uh, for the PA people because they were constantly sending them out to go get more uh, unlubricated condoms and as much KY jelly as possible. So they would literally go to like local pharmacies in Louisiana. Some poor, you know, 20 some year old PA would have to go in, buy all the, the, the non-lubricated condoms and all the KY jelly and people just looking at them like, what the fuck mm. are you doing? And, what are you uh, there for? Mm. <laughs> but, but the whole movie basically like everything is fucking covered in KY jelly is, is the blob. You so stick your, you gonna stick your carrot in that tater? Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm recycling that. Recycling, buddy. Sorry. Not allowed. You gotta stick your carrot in the tater. There you, you go. Ba-do, <laughs> <laughs> so he's looking at he's looking at the spunk on his fingers, and mm. all of a sudden the blob shoots out of the the drain, grabs him right in the fucking face it's great i love that fucking pulls him down and just crushes his head pulls it right through the drain and as that's happening you know i like how fran comes in and the the camera is the the shots right by his feet like it's all gross and everything but not a lot of sound is being made which is cool makes sense because he, he you know his head was was pretty much engulfed in blob so fran kind of like in a nanosecond doesn't really notice it and then she looks over and yeah that's weird seeing his two feet and his hands fucking like sticking out of the drain and everything so she screams and then brian and meg come running in they see what's happening it's a really awesome effect and then all of a sudden the blob shoots out of the drain 
up onto the ceiling. So obviously it's a, it's a composite shot of the actor sort of standing in front of a, you know, a blue screen or whatever, get that shot. And, uh, Meg and Brian go running as the blob is chasing them on the ceiling. Really cool effect. And uh, they go run into the freezer, the weirdly like wooden freezer that's like not modern at all. It's an old school freezer. It is made out of wood. Um, So they're in there. (laughs) They're in there. And and the the creature the blob is trying to like sort of come underneath the the door and as it when it touches the cold it immediately retreats so we know that the cold as the viewers we know the cold affects it cut to Fran she's kicking out the uh, kicking out a window which is good for her man that was so smart so she yeah goes, Fran is she's a trooper she knows what's up she does well I would have gone to a different phone booth maybe not the phone booth she could have run across the street that's, that's to the police two office. feet away from where the blob <laughs> just was but yeah. uh so but you know whatever she's not thinking so she goes into the phone booth uh to get a hold of the police and as she's she's trying to fumble with the phone you know the dial operator whatever and then the blob starts coming down from the outside she sees it right away she kind of like you can tell she knows she's she's trapped at this point and the blob's trying to come in she's using her foot to kind of keep the the door closed and everything it's it's really intense and yeah. she call she finally gets a hold of the police station when the whole entire boot booth is just completely just encompassed and she's talking to the operator not the receptionist the operator and she's like where's herb where's herb you don't come blah blah, blah. And she, they're like and then they say on the other end they say that Herb went down to the diner, and just as they say that, fucking Herb's dead body floats up next to her, and Ugh. this is one of my favorite, like, this whole scene I fucking yeah. love, but, so man, the effects on fucking half-melted Herb, dude, like, so fucking good. Yeah, it's so good, it's so intense, and you feel so bad, because you're like, well. That's it clearly they're both going to be dead soon yeah yeah and so now obviously she's screaming fran screaming and the thing is about to come in and they do this awesome over the shot camera angle where they 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 use a a a, a manic like a dummy like a a model and it's like a, a quarter scale um, or something like that it's smaller than actual real life but they, it's so well edited together that when the blob explodes in and that the manic and the dummy I mean it has proper joints and everything so it moves properly and it is to this day so effective I love that scene because. When she does, I don't know if you notice, but like there's teeth, mm-hmm. a jawbone, like travels up to the top of the screen. And you're like, that's such a great touch, you know, that no one would have necessarily noticed. But if they did, they'd be like, oh, that's so realistic and cool, man. So the special effects guy worked it out with, uh, and I keep forgetting his name. He gets a credit even at the beginning of the movie, and I'm an asshole for not writing it down, but he. Basically, him and Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, they worked it out so that the... So, here's the thing. The blob actually wants your blood. It doesn't actually try to eat 
the rest of you, it just wants your blood. That's why it gets redder and redder as it gets bigger and bigger. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, to the point where they wanted to have an effect at the end where Brian, when he's stuck in the cab of the um, the, the snowplow thing, they yeah. wanted to have an effect, like actually have skeletons like roll like like go past him skeletons that were like like bleached to the point where they're shiny because it, so basically and also the the idea is that the blob is getting stronger and better at what it does the bigger it gets and the further cool. it goes along but it specifically wants your blood and I never really knew that I just thought it was you know eating all of our material but it's actually not because if you also see the the kills everyone is kind of palish because it's trying to drain you of your blood that's awesome I didn't know yeah. that that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, outside the diner, Reverend, oh, so, so uh, you know, so Brian and Meg make it out. Uh, outside the diner, Reverend Meeker sees the blob go into the sewer, like the sewer drain. It's gr- growing in size. And then Reverend Meeker goes into the diner kind of to examine it. And he eventually makes his way back to the freezer where he finds pieces of the blob in the freezer on the ground broken. And he grabs like a mason jar and collects the pieces. And this will be something that they, a piece of the puzzle for later in the movie to to come about. Uh, Meg. Meg and Brian run into the police station looking for the sheriff or Deputy Briggs. Uh, the the operator lady says that she hasn't heard from Herb, but Briggs is at Elkins Grove, and Brian says that's where he found the old man. Meg drives Brian up to Elkins Grove to see Briggs's, and they see Briggs's squad car sitting on the side of the road. Uh, they go into the woods sort of looking for him. As they're walking around looking for Briggs, they, like, all of a sudden, like, trees light up and, and a, like, lights are everywhere. The wind starts blowing. You don't really know quite what's happening yet. And then you realize that it's a helicopter and a bunch of men with guns and hazmat suits jump out and are, you know, pointing guns at him, at them and everything. Uh, we finally meet Dr. Maddows, played by Joe Seneca, and he says they're here to help. Uh, the military men take Meg and Brian back to their base of operations. Uh, just as, as Deputy Briggs spots Brian and Meg and he runs over to him, he says, these men are on serious business. They don't have any time for your shit to Brian. Uh, Maddows asks, Dr. Maddows asks if Briggs knows what to do. And, and Briggs says, yeah, he's going to go back to town, take care of it and, uh, start, start setting things up. And the Colonel is going to go with him and everything. And so you don't really know what's happening, but you know that, that Briggs is, is clued in on it and he's working with them essentially. Meg asks Maddows what's going on, you know, what's going on over the hill. And he says, that's the source of all our worries, a trouble, a troublesome souvenir from space, a meteorite. And he says there's danger of contamination. Uh, Brian asks if he thinks the meteorite brought a killer germ. Maddows says it's something that he's expected and prepared for his entire life. And then Brian says, uh, your meteor brought something, all right, but if it's a germ, it's the biggest you've ever seen. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. kitties of the night. Come and join me, your host, Deadly Debbie, as we go through my creepy files and listen to real-life, strange-but-true stories from people all over the world. 
explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. <laughs> and now, back to the show. The next scene opens on a couple at a summer camp making out by the fire pit. And I love this. Uh, this is great. This is great. While a man in a hockey mask is like cutting the the hedges or whatever and i like it's funny because at first you're like what is happening but yeah. it's it's clearly like satire it's tongue-in-cheek because even the person the, the character in the movie that's inside of a movie that they're watching he's like it's a little too late to be you know doing yard work and then we see the guy has a hockey mask he's like it's not hockey season so you pan back and you realize that oh that's actually what you just watched was a scene from the movie that Eddie and Kevin are actually watching, and clearly it's a slasher film making fun of Friday the 13th and all. I mean, this is 1988. This is the heyday of the slasher right here. Also starring a former Playboy Playmate slash Growing Pain regular who Kirk Cameron, when he found God, like decided, well, I can't work with her anymore because she she did Playboy Julie yeah. McCullough, who's was in Big Bad Mama Part Two, and uh, from what I've heard, is a super awesome, nice person. And you know, fuck Kirk Cameron, fuck yeah. that guy. Like yeah. seriously, seriously, like that guy's a piece of shit. Uh, and <laughs> and it's too bad that he like proselytizes his bunk. Uh, but she's great. Like just for a split second, you're like, Oh wait, I know her. I know her from somewhere. Where do I know her from? My brother's sticky magazine. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, you know it, baby. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause you know, Eddie and Kevin are, are watching the movie and behind them is like a jerk making snarky comments to his girlfriend. And it, it this kind of annoys Kevin and Kevin turns around and tells him to, to shut up. And I like how the guy's like, you shut up. And, uh, and, <laughs> And then of course, he's great. That guy's great. He is great. And then the usher comes down and chastises Kevin and Eddie because it's actually Eddie's older brother is the is the usher. Now you said it, offline before we started recording this that, that there was someone else in this movie that uh, I should know, but I didn't sort of recall right away. What uh is it him? Is it the brother here, the usher? Yeah, it is. The brother is played by uh, Jameson Newlander. And he played Alan Frog, one half of the Frog Brothers in The Lost oh, Boys. Oh shit! Yep, yep. Now I see it in my in my mind's eye. I did not put it together at the time. And is he not credited on IMDb for this movie? He's not in the IMDb credits. He's in the actual physical credits of the movie, which is that's really weird. weird. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Um, but yeah, uh. He, and he's great. Like, I'm like, holy shit, it's a frog brother. Yeah. And even though I didn't, like, sort of put it together, he, he was still great, you know. He was he was awesome in the, in the moments that he's and in. And he lives. So. He lives. Spoiler, he lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we kind of go up to the projection room, and we see that the projectionist is, pra- is played by Frank Collison, who we, well, I know from Dr. You. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> I mean, he's got such a unique face, but where do you know him from, Zach? I know him from one of my favorite straight-to-video B-movies of all time, Dollman. He's the mm. main villain in Dollman. 
where was he his really? whole body gets obliterated and he's just a head on a on a spaceship. <laughs> I, I I haven't seen Doll Man since since I, re- I rented it. I didn't know that he was he was in that. I he's mean, the he's, main villain with Jack Earl Haley. He's got Thomason. such an interesting head and face, you know. But it's cool because it, he's a great actor and it doesn't like hold him back from doing anything. He's he's very unique and he's still working you know today regularly you no know, he reminds me yeah he has a very interesting look where you're like that guy's really interesting looking mm-hmm. uh there's another actor i forget his name he was in a god-awful um john cusack movie where turns out john cusack's the like the murderer at the end and it's all in his mind oh like, like a know, room wasn't it is that room 1207 or something like that it's it's like that but this is like at a at a motel you know, where all the motel, people oh, in the motel okay. are being killed. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it turns out it's John Cusack. Anyways, the guy the, the guy who is John Cusack, uh, his eyes, like, dart back and forth all the time. He can't stop. He's got some sort of um, – he's got something going on with his eyes where he can't move – he can't stop them from moving. They're constantly moving back and forth. And, and for the life of me, I'm forgetting this character actor's name. Anyways, it's that – like he has such a distinctive look that when okay. you see him, you're like, Oh, I know that guy. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, you'll, you'd recognize Frank Coulson if, if you've seen him, like, you know, right away, he's very yeah, looks unmistakable. Like look like he got his head run over. <laughs> he does. He does. I kind mean, of he does. Look Sorry. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Un- unfortunately. I don't mean that in a negative no, way, no, but that's just, how yeah. else can you put it in a positive way? You yeah. look like you got your head run over. He's, you know, <laughs> he you come crushed. over to my house and you say, I got my head run over because you got a friend in me. Because <laughs> you got a projectionist in me. You know, one day you get your head run over. Next day you get sucked in by a blob because you're feeling up a girl's breast because you got a friend in me. <laughs> oh, slam dunk. Slam dunk. Uh, he, he notices that it's hot as fuck up there. And the air conditioning isn't working. He radios down to the manager that it's hot in the projection room and something must be wrong with the, the air conditioning. Uh, the, the manager says, you know, it's on. Everything's fine. So something must be blocking the vent. He puts on these, like, glasses with little lights on the side of them, little flashlights, and uh, opens up the vent and kind of sticks his head in there. And then we get a POV shot of the blob, which I remember this shot from the trailer when yeah, he's sticking too. his head in there and he screams as the blob. Bob's like sort of shooting straight up at him. Uh, cut to the manager kind of going up to the projection room. He's like looking around. He's like, Hobbs, where are you? And all of a sudden, a yo-yo falls from the ceiling in front of the manager but and, and hangs there. So the manager looks up, and, th- and this dude is just melted into the ceiling. This is one of... Again, another one of the awesome effects of of this guy and his head's like all stuck and everything. It's really good. The manager screams, tentacles grab him and suck that dude up. And then that dude's dead now too. Back at the crash site, Dr. Maddows leads Brian and Meg to a police truck, tells them to get in. Uh, they're going to take them back to town where it's safe. Brian says that, uh, he's like, are they, are we your prisoners? And Dr. Maddows is like, not at all. You're my patients. And Brian's like, 
sounds like the same thing to me. So Brian kind of yeah. like does like a, oh, Meg, let's just leave. You know, like does the, like we're just going to leave this situation, you know. And then, of course, like, you know, 20 military guys are surround them and point the guns at him. So it's like one of those like, OK, we'll get in the truck now type of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in the back of the truck, Brian is using the wrench set Moss gave him. Uh, to dismantle the truck door. I like that. I like how the the wrench set sort of comes back into play here. Uh, Brian doesn't yeah, his ratchets. He's yeah, got his ratchets. Got to man. Got you. Got to do it. You got you got to got to break out of that that door somehow, right? Can I borrow your ratchets? <laughs> Give them to me, baby. And uh, Brian doesn't trust the government, and he thinks they should skip town on on the bike on his bike. And uh, he finally gets the door open. Meg doesn't want to go because, of course, her family's back in town so brian's like peace out jumps out the back of the moving truck and i love how there's a shot of him looking and she just like is looking at him and closes the door so it's like adios muchacho it's Uh, pretty straightforward though she's like i don't want to go you know and he's like well i'm going yeah (laughs) peace out gone uh Back in town, we see the military's rounding up everyone and putting them into the town hall. Uh, Meg is dropped off and reunites with her mom and dad. Dad asks if Kevin's with her. Meg says Kevin is at Eddie's house. Of course, Eddie's mom is conveniently right there. And she's like, no, they said they were going to spend the night at your house. Of course, they're like, oh, they're at the movie theater. Uh, Meg kind of sneaks off to the movie theater while her dad sort of gets in a verbal confrontation with a soldier. Back at the movie theater, (laughs) this is great. The same guy uh, who keeps talking in, you know, through the movie and everything, heckling from behind, from from behind Kevin. Kevin looks back to give him another, like, more solid shut up. And then the dude is just grabbed out of his seat and just sucked up into the blob, up into the ceiling. I was like, yeah, and like, it's like, it only got him. It didn't get his girlfriend, you know? But isn't it funny though, like that 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 I love I love that scene. I love when he gets r- ripped up out of his seat and sucked up by the by the blob. But how telling is that, dude? That 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 is become that 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 is like they use it in scary movie, mm-hmm. in Scream, in this, and other movies as well. Like the guy who's talking in the background. Like that's such a common thing that happens in movies all the in movie theaters all the time. Mm-hmm. And how fucking annoying is that? I've like, always that hate- person that I was at the I remember seeing Predator when it came out and this guy behind me translating the movie to his wife or girlfriend or sister in Spanish the entire time translating it. And I'm like Wait, what? Yeah. Like, at least whisper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the, the, the fucking talking behind. Like, that is such a common thing for people when they go to the movie theater. No wonder people don't want to go to the movie theater anymore. And, <laughs> and I never understood that because we're all paying for it. Like, we've all paid money. Even you paid money. Why are you going to talk during your experience? And, I don't get it. And obviously, I, you know, obviously, you know, we, we probably revere films a little bit more than, say, that guy did, right? And, and but it's, yeah, I get it, dude. Because, and now that's why I, I do love the film, ex- like the movie theater experience experience but it doesn't take much to ruin that experience right but at the same time it also the theater experience does enhance things like it's appropriate to talk during a movie if everyone is screaming everyone's having a good time but then it's this guy this guy and of course of course like you chuck chuck russell and darabont are making a point by having this guy get killed and that's great 
they're making a point because it happens all the time. And look, like the guy who was translating to his 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 partner, like, okay, I kind of get that in one sense, but make sure you're sitting away from everybody else yeah. if you're going to do that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, I'm not going to begrudge someone for, for trying to translate or something. But at, yes, at the same time, yeah, like you know, you're still talking, even if you're doing it for the right reason. You're still you're still, you're still talking during the movie, and that that yeah, sucks, man. man. That sucks, especially when we all fucking paid the, the insane amount of money that we all fucking paid to see this fucking movie. Twenty dollars a pop, I, you know? It's like come I on. I never got that. I never yeah, got me neither. It. I never did either, dude. Truthfully, I sit, I be quiet, and I enjoy my fucking movie, man. Um, at this at this point, the movie, you know, the movie print melts, so everyone sort of turns oh, so back. Yeah, I like that. Turns back and looks, and really cool shot of the blob sort of coming out of the projection area uh, on the wall. Of course, chaos ensues in the theater. Uh, Meg runs to the theater as everyone is running out and she goes in to find Kevin inside. People are getting eaten. There's like a, she trips over like a half melted girl on the ground, which is really fucking cool. Awesome. Love that shit. That was cool. Meg says, sees Eddie and Kevin trying to get out the back door, which is locked, which is fucking illegal because of this very fucking reason right here. So they're, tr- I mean, they're trying to go out the fire exit door and it's chain locked. And I'm like, that's a fire hazard. That's yeah. illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so they instead kind of go to a different side door that leads them to a back alley with the blob in hot pursuit. As they get to the alley door, they slam it shut, but this also sort of catches Kevin's hoodie in the door. And as they're trying to get out, of course they create tension because the zipper won't unzip, which is something they established earlier, which I didn't like because I don't think you even need to establish that the zipper doesn't work. Like it's, I think it's already hard enough to unzip a zipper when you're like stuck and struggling. Like that could have just been there without the artificial scene at the beginning of the movie where mom's like mom's like you gotta put on your jacket kevin and then kevin's like oh but the zipper doesn't work you know it's like come on guys you're just setting that shit up yeah it's 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 cliche but but still it's still tension there's still tension there it's cliche but it's very effective mainly because once she does clear him of the door of this like big metal door once she clears him there's a really cool editing effect like so they they run away from the door and round the corner and is immediately is right when they're out of frame like nanosecond out of frame the blob explodes through the door and like knocks it down it clearly would have crushed kevin horribly and it's 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 an effective scene all around even if, you know, it's kind of telegraphed 30 minutes. And I want to go back to what you said earlier in the, in the, in the episode about practical effects versus CGI. This was CGI. It would have looked so silly. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I know it's cheaper. I know like somebody, for example, Rob Zombie in Devil's Rejects needed to use CGI to cut down on cost. And that was fine with the squibs and all that, you know, like the CGI blast. That was passable for me because I actually like Devil's Rejects. But like, man, can you imagine? It would not have been as effective. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like as a someone who went to film school, I totally understand why any filmmaker would use CGI and over squibs because you can redo a take and not have to reset up all the outfit and everything like that. You know, I get it. But at the same time, 
amazing squibs like the ones you see in RoboCop are always amazing. Like you just, you can't take away how awesome they are. And obviously it's also safer ultimately for the actor because squibs still kind of use a a little bit of a an explosive charge to go off. So it's still safer ultimately, but I, yeah, I get it. And I mean, like I said earlier in the in the review, you know, we narrowly dodged uh, this movie being CGI a blob because for, uh, Chuck Russell was eyeballing that, but he he just he knew it wasn't there yet, and he was right. And thankfully, I, I don't even know if the blob like I think now like 2021 is when you can start doing the blob in, in CGI. You know what I mean? Like like it. it that's a hard effect to do and because there's so many layers to it. It's you got to have translucentness to it and everything, you know? I mean, the, 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 the scene in the theater where the strobe light is going off and the flicker effect and you see the, 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 the blob, which looks like a version of the thing, picking things up, picking mm-hmm. people up and whipping them against the wall and whatnot. It's like so good. Because it would not have been as good. Because it's tactile. It's real, you know? And, yeah. and, you know, there's some miniature work there and everything, which is, again, also cool because it's tactile and real. And I, I love all of that fucking kind of shit, dude. Me too. Um, let's see. Oh, so so Meg takes Kevin and uh, Eddie uh, into the alley. And just like, I don't know what's going on in the 80s, man, but just like in Fright Night, we have an alley that just goes to like a dead end, you know, and they're... they're Fright Night? <laughs> yeah, they're, Alleys are great. Yeah, right? They're, they're just, that's an 80s trope. So yeah. they kind of, uh, they escape into the sewers via a manhole uh, at the dead end of the alley as the blob is sort of like, you can see it coming at them. Uh, back in the woods, Brian is sort of walking his bike while trying to hide from the army guys. He hides his bike behind a bush and sort of follows a couple soldiers back to the crash site. And this is where we get a lot of story exposition here. Um, he sees them lifting it out of the ground. And it's, it isn't a meteorite, but a man-made satellite that brought the blob. Uh, he hears Dr. Maddow's uh, say, We suspected the conditions in space would have mutating effects on bacteria. Uh, its activity must have thrown the satellite out of orbit. Our little experiments... Seem to uh, our little experimental virus seems to have grown up into a plasmic life form that hunts its prey. It's fantastic. So of course, Maddow's is is yeah, he's into this man. This is his yeah. baby. Clearly, this is actually yeah. this is his baby, right? It's a Frankenstein yeah. scenario. Yeah. Um, and of course, he has to be killed by his baby as well, just like with Frankenstein. As Brian is listening to the conversation, Maddow's uh, gets a report from Jennings that the creature has been spotted going into the sewers. Uh, this is awesome. We all, Real quick, we also hear uh, in the background, like, Eddie's brother, the usher, says, oh, yeah. it's chasing Meg and Kevin and Eddie, you know, into the sewers. And, of course, Brian hears this, right? Uh, but Dr. Maddow says that they will contain it in the sewers and that the civilians are expendable. So he is talking to a Dr. Jennings uh, right there. And I'm like watching this movie. I'm like, this guy's familiar. Who is this guy? Like, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, okay. And then I'm looking on IMDb and I'm like, hmm, Robert Axelrod is Jennings. And then my mind was blown because not only is Robert Axelrod Lord Zed from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but for me and Zach and a few of our other friends, he is 
will for always be known uh, from the show Check It Out with with uh, Dr. Stephen Brule. Uh, he John plays C. Riley. Uh, John C. Riley. He plays Terry Bruges Hiplo, like this crazy old man, just a crazy character. And I this is I mean this is only something probably super exciting for me. But like first off, when me I discovered in <laughs> you too. But first off, when I discovered that the guy who played Terry Bruges Hiplo, like if you see him and check it out, he's all like hunched over and everything. When I found out that he was also Lord Zed from from yeah. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that blew my mind. And now it's doubling blown to know that he was in the blob as well. It's insane. It's insane. Um I mean yeah. Terry Bro Shiplo. Some chip beef. Some I want to get a can of chip beef. If you don't know who if you don't know what check it out is, check, you don't check know, it out. Yeah, check it out. If uh you know, for all you people who love John C. Riley and don't know Check It Out, it will blow your mind, much to the chagrin <laughs> of my wife and everybody else who doesn't like that style of humor. Uh it's just bizarre. And and, and you watch that show and you're like, these guys he probably found these people on the street. No. They're actual former actors or actors, period. Yeah. And Check It Out was the first thing that bonded our friend group together of you, yep. me, Diallo, and a couple other people. And to the point I made t-shirts for everybody. Yeah, I, I'm wearing it right now. I am wearing, every time Zach and I record, I wear my Check It Out shirt that we all the have. The Dangatangs. Yeah, the Dangatangs. So, I mean... If you wanted, if you want any insight into like, I mean, we still send each other gifts, like responses of of that show. Watch that show, and you will understand so much about our humor. And if you already enjoy, check it out. Then you're a friend of ours. You're an official dangatang. You are an official dangatang. <laughs> I love it. I can't believe that was Doctor Jennings. My mind was fucking blown, and it's gonna. It's awesome. And by the way, there's another character coming up soon that's gonna blow my mind even more. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the general says this will put the U.S. defense years ahead of the Russians, because of course it's 1988. This is this is the Cold War. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another scientist says this is Jennings says that. Uh, you know, judging by the rate it's growing, by the time this time next week there may not be a U.S. But Dr. Maddow says uh, that all they have to do is contain it properly. And of course, as Brian is listening to this conversation, Dr. Maddow gets a gets a report that the creature has been spotted going into the sewers. In the background, uh, oh, I think I already said this. Uh, Eddie's brother said so the usher says uh, Meg, Kevin, and Eddie um, are there. Just then, a soldier discovers Brian, but Brian kind of spins around and hits him with the uh, with the wrench and causes him to sort of like you know that soldier takes off a couple shots, falls over. So now they all see him, and Doctor Maddow's like, "Chase that guy!" So now Brian gets runs to his his bike and helicopters and and trucks are pursuing him and four wheelers, and he's you know riding his bike and he sees the bridge and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do it." The one that he tried to jump earlier. And he, he's flying at it, and this time he clears it. And as he's clearing it and he's flying through the air, helicopters are, for, are behind him. Like, like people are shooting him at, at him, so stuff's going off on the ground. The truck flips. Yeah. All of this was done in, like, one stunt, right? Like, one whole thing, all in camera. It's fantastic. And apparently— yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful stunt. And apparently when, you know, the guy landed the bike— 
the bike fucking exploded and you can <sighs> see it did. like you can see him fine for one second and then i think he, he's gonna fall off of it like right afterwards essentially the stunt man but yeah. he held it together chuck russell's exact words were from sheer fucking upper body strength alone so that one frame that you see that stunt guy land it he's literally holding that bike together with with like his body because it exploded on impact essentially jesus it's a great stunt no one got hurt um in 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 chuck russell's very proud of this because his actually his background is stunt work before he became a director he worked for a stunt company so he's he's very he knows stunts and he's very proud of the fact that he's always safe with his stunts um but all in all it's a fantastic stunt and it's awesome Brian drives his bike down into like this sewer pipe, you know, kind of he's going to evade the the cops, but it's also convenient because, you know, they're in the sewers as well. And by there, I mean, Meg, Eddie and Kevin back in town, Dr. Maddows and the Colonel arrive and are appraised of the situation by a Seinfeld alum, crazy Joe Davola. He <laughs> I this this blew my mind just as much as Jenny's Jennings being Terry Brew Shiplow. Um, he shows up. He kind of shows them a schematic of the sewers and it's like, if we close close it off here, here, and here, it'll be contained. But you know, a small scene that I probably wouldn't have even noted, other than the fact that it's fucking crazy Joe Devola, <laughs> a huge character from Seinfeld lore. And if you don't know who that is, listen to Corey's <laughs> podcast Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, which you. Can check out like there's how many episodes of that? Now? Uh, we're pushing ninety because we're on season six right now. So me and Adam, it's a weekly show, and me and Adam are going through every episode of Seinfeld, and we're on yeah. season six. It's a lot. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for plugging that. I wasn't even going to. I'm the king of plugs. You are. Say? <laughs> You're the plug king. <laughs> the butt plug king. Uh, <laughs> scratch mm. that from the record. I'm plugging. Hey. <laughs> Would anybody like to plug my king? <laughs> no, Bill. We're good. In the sewers. In the sewers themselves, Meg is leading Eddie and Kevin through them. Uh, there's also a group of soldiers that we quickly see, like a, couple, like a handful, like three guys. Cut back to Meg and Kevin and Eddie are kind of in waist-high water. Uh, this is a really cool effect. Meg sees a rat, and she's like, hey, watch out for the rats. Kevin looks over, and rat's not there. He's like, what rat? She looks back to look at a different rat and sees it basically get sucked underwater. She knows the bomb's yeah. right behind him. So she's pushing Kevin forward. She's still holding on to Eddie, but he's kind of lagging behind a little bit. There's a pipe right in front of them, a, like a two-story climb, like pretty high climb up to the street above. And she's kind of pushing Kevin up the pipe. And as she's, you know, she, she's not forgetting about Eddie. And I like that. She never, it's it's never her no. fault what happens to Eddie. And she never has to like care as much as she does. And that's what I think really works about it. But Eddie gets dramatically like sucked back right like that was really fucking cool yeah it's intense it is because meg you know kevin's kind of like halfway up the pipes meg goes back for eddie goes like kind of underwater goes after him you know there's like a beat of silence meg comes back up and she's looking around and then eddie pops up right behind her and he is getting already getting melted it's a fucking 12 year old kid getting just fucking melted and then he just the thing is when i was younger i thought the shot was a lot longer than it is it's kind of a quick shot but it's still pretty gruesome because then immediately eddie just gets sucked back back into hell yeah and it's gruesome and and to think that like i know this is 
reclaimed water it's still sewage water yeah and they're going underwater it's yeah. disgusting it's, it's disgusting nasty. yeah it is it is really gross nasty meg and kevin keep climbing up the pipes to the storm drain while the bob is sort of like stretching and growing to to get them kevin makes it through the drain but meg can't then all of a sudden the three soldiers appear and start shooting one of them says you know we're don't shoot we're you know we're ordered not to shoot and of course that's the guy that gets grabbed by the tentacle yeah yep. so one of them's already down Meg tells Kevin to run to town hall and leave her. And then she kind of falls back into the water while the blob is distracted. Uh, Then she kind of tries to crawl the other way up this little runoff thing as the blob is coming after her. Brian shows up on his bike in the sewer to help her and grabs her. Uh, The blob chases them through the sewers kind of to a dead end. So Brian turns his bike around and goes driving straight at the blob and then kind of drives up the side of the rounded tunnel around the blob as it's whipping its its tentacles at him really cool stunt very cool stunt very awesome and then he, you know he gets to the other side and kind of wipes out which that's cool too like i like how you know he did what he had to do but he didn't yep. stick the landing it was it was realistic you know and they crash the bike and have to abandon it just then a wounded soldier with a bazooka startles them and he's all bloody and beat up and who the fuck is it buddy bill mosley from fucking Devil's Rejects, which you were just Devil's talking Rejects, about. Rejects. Uh, I mean, Night of the Living Dead remake. I mean, he's Chop Top from Chop-top. Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre Part Two. Yep. You know. Yeah. He's not my Sonny Bono wig. Huge name in horror, and he has a tiny, tiny little role in this movie. Tiny. Yeah, I feel like there was probably maybe supposed to be more for him to do because even now, like, I mean, he 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 was already like chop top right like i mean in 88 he was already chop top yeah yeah and then yeah. you know night of the living dead playing uh barber's brother in what like two or three years from later right but and he and he was in he was the villain in crash and burn mm-hmm. um you know he yep. he's he's got an extensive resume bill mosley yeah and he's a legend he's a legend in in cult film cinema Mm-hmm. And he's it's awesome great seeing here. him pop up. Yeah, it's yep. great. It's awesome. It's it's fun. He's and he's all fucked up and everything. And he says his whole team was killed. Uh, my next note is Meg, Brian, and Bill go to the uh, to to one end of the sewers and the three most generic white people names. <laughs> Seriously, outside of John, Mary, and Bruce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they go to one of the sewer exits, and above them, uh, Doctor Maddows is up there, and he tells them tells his people to close the manhole, while of course you know. Brian is yelling at them and everything. And then insult to injury, not only do they close it, because that's got to be hard to just push it out anyways, you know, from yeah. below, but they park a fucking truck on top of it. Like, okay, you're an asshole. I love that, though. I love when they do that. You're like, oh, man, what a dick. Yeah, how are they going to get out of this, right? And it's cool because... You know the blob is getting closer because the water is starting to rise, and, and Bill Mosley's character says that, and he's, he notices what's happening. And yep. Meg sort of points to the bazooka uh, on his back, and uh, Brian takes it. He's uh, someone, you know, I think he says not going to work, do anything good on on against the blob. He's like, that's not what I'm going to use it on, and he fucking aims it right up the fucking manhole and, you know, says something like suck on this and fucking blows the fucking truck up. I was like, I, first off, I wouldn't even thought of that if I was Brian, but that's awesome. Good job. I love it. I love it. It's great. It's a great scene. It's a, it's fantastic. It's absolutely yep. fantastic. The explosion causes everyone uh, from like town hall and everything to start kind of running over. 
you know, soldiers and civilians alike to go check out what's happening, uh, including Deputy Briggs. Meg and Brian climb out of the sewers, and Brian picks up an M16. This causes the other soldiers and Deputy Briggs to draw their guns on him. Brian says that the military is lying to everyone. Just then, Dr. Maddows tells the colonel to shoot Brian. And this, I love this. As soon as he says yeah. shoot him, the Deputy Briggs now points his gun at the colonel because, I mean, you know, we don't execute people. That's not what we, we do, right? And I like that. Like, even though he's kind of like Briggs is kind of a jerk character, this is when he starts to redeem himself a little bit. Yeah, because he's like, this is my man. They kind of have a little bit of a standoff with, you know, everyone sort of pointing their guns at everyone. And, of course, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> Briggs is like, okay, everyone just settle down, you know. Uh, but Dr. Maddow says that Brian is infected, and uh, but Brian's still trying to reason with Briggs. He says that the meteor is man-made and that this is a germ warfare test gotten wrong. All of a sudden, Dr. Maddow's done with this shit, grabs the gun from the colonel, but as he does that, the blob, one of his tentacles comes up and reaches for, for his leg and just kind of grabs him. Dr. Or Dr. Maddow shoots uh, by accident, and he hits Deputy Briggs in the shoulder, um, and then he gets sucked down into the sewer, and he's sort of like half Halfway in the sewer, using the gun to sort of prop himself up, and then the blob oh. comes up inside of his face mask and totally consumes him from the inside, shakes him around, sucks him down, and breaks the gun when it happens. Again, another amazing death, an amazing effect. It's one of the best. It's one of the best deaths in the movie. Yeah, it's the most satisfying. Yes. You're like, yeah, you know, you get this. This is what you get for like basically treating human life like trash exactly this is the franken dr frankenstein's death it, it has yep. to happen right i like now the colonel's like fuck this noise so the colonel and like a platoon of guys just aim down the the manhole cover and just start shooting their guns colonel's like give me a, a give me a charge you know short short fuse someone hands it to him he drops it in there i love it the, the the colonel's doing his shit and he feels like he feels like a colonel you know and blows that blows that shit up and he's like boom done mic drop done guys right they think they killed the blob so but, you think so you think the ground starts shaking and then boom the blob explodes out of the sewer street sending soldiers flying everywhere vehicles flying everywhere um you you see the colonel is like on his back on the ground you look up the blob is like this pillar that's going like five stories into the air it's really fucking big yeah. and it's coming down right on the colonel and i love this is one of my favorite fucking things the colonel fucking pulls the two grenades that are on his chest and then the the blob slams right on top of him and the force the impact of the hit blows out all the glass on on main street such an amazing fucking effect <laughs> Love it, dude. How fucking cool was that? And without yeah, the awesome. glass blowing, it would have been so much less. And yeah, as agree. as chaos ensues, you see these small little explosions inside the blob go off because you know that that was his, his grenades. And I like that it's not... It's a background thing, right? Like, you don't see it. They don't show it up close. You just see it in the background. The blob's moving, and you just see these little boom, boom, two little explosions go off. Love and that. I'm like, well, at least the colonel didn't dissolve to death, right? The, the, the grenades killed him, right? Better way to go out. I agree. So basically now chaos ensues. Everybody is running. Uh, there's a cool shot. Of, like people are just getting grabbed. There's a cool shot of one guy tripping. The, the blob smacks him and then peels back and the guy's kind of flat. It's a little bit of a joke, but it still kind of works actually. I, I love it. It's funny, 
Because at this point, you're just like, this thing's a killing machine. It's funny. It lightens yeah. up the movie a little bit. It's great. Yeah, it does. It, it really is. All right, Meg runs for town hall with the rest of the people on the street. And as she's doing so, people are getting eaten left and right. Brian runs for the garage with the snowblowers. Uh, a soldier with a flamethrower on his backpack, sort of, or a soldier with a flamethrower, like one of those backpack flamethrowers, uh, very like, you know, Vietnam style. Uh, he he walks up to it and starts, you know, dousing it with, with the napalm. And this is, I love this. The blob was like, nope, and just uses one of its tentacles and plugs the hole, causing that guy to explode. And I was like, yeah, yes. Awesome. I mean, this is just, I mean, as a kid, man, you're watching this. It's like, yes, it's like fucking death everywhere. This is, it's yeah. so much Carnage. fun. Carnage. It's awesome. awesome. The, the Reverend gets burned by the 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 guy exploding by the flamethrower flames he, he does the reverend really he gets a lot of flame too um shawnee uh meg c- runs over to him and puts him out with a fire extinguisher and then as she does that she's kind of you know picking him up helping him up and, and the blob sort of coming at her she uses the fire extinguisher on it and it kind of moves back and everything and here's what i have to ask you do when the fire extinguishers it's like a foam thing but is it cold is is the 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 flame retardant that fire extinguishers put out is it cold yeah co2 it's cold oh okay okay so that's why so that's my whole thing i was like i didn't quite understand if this was like a movie thing or if this was an actual real thing that that they're cold that they shoot cold or whatever no it it feels cold yeah okay okay cool meg keeps like kind of keeps moving back towards the town hall and spraying at the blob to kind of ward it off. And she's like, it can't stand the cold. So now, you know, everyone knows that and everything. Um, Meg now inside town hall with everyone. They're all spraying the blob as it's coming through. And they're also trying to barricade the doors. The Reverend is in the corner kind of maniacally praying and everything. Uh, Outside Brian is using, he kind of takes one of the snowblowers, blasts out of the garage. He's driving up to Town Hall, and this thing is just completely covering Town Hall. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, whatever this alien creature thing is, you know, it's like going to consume everyone inside. Because it's so big that at some point it's just going to crush the whole building and, and come in. Um yep. It crushes somebody, unfortunately. Uh, inside Town Hall, everyone's trying to fight the blob back. Deputy Briggs kind of pushes up a, a you know, a, a board thing to hold the, actually it's a bookshelf, against a door. The blob shoots its tentacles in, grabs him by the waist while everyone's watching, sucks him out via his penis area, so his legs kind of go back by his head. Section, yeah. It's a, ah, it's a great, another fantastic great fucking death. death. Yeah. And in, it's, it's. It's unexpected because it's not really blobby. You know what I mean? Like, it's the only death that's not really all that blobby. No, but he, horrible. he goes out like a champ. Yeah, he does. It's pretty fucking horrible. Now Brian is using the snowblower to kind of freeze the thing. He's kind of pulling it away. And then the snowblower gets flipped over by the blob, kind of separating the cabin or the truck part from the the tanker part. Megs runs over to help Brian. She picks up a machine gun and an explosive from a half-melted soldier. Now, that soldier is a famous stunt person who has no arm, has one missing arm, two missing legs, and he was a Vietnam vet. And he found prolific work being doing stuff like this in movies for when people need amputees, way before CGI. 
yeah, it's nice that they, <laughs> they're, you know, hiring an amputee. Yeah, I mean, and it's effective because you don't have to, like, hide his arm and, you know, and everything like that. So nope. it was really gross because he's still, like, alive while she's, like, yeah. t- you know, and she's like, oh, God, you know. He's like, help me. <laughs> it's, it's I great. love it, though, because she goes, she kind of kicks into badass mode, which is great. Yeah, but she does. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna totally like, you know, whatever the opposite of uh, emasculation is. Yeah. In a minute. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so, so she, she basically gets on top of the tanker, which is probably about ten yards away from the cab where the the blob is encasing it and trying to get to Brian. She stands on top of it, takes her M16, really cool crane shot. Uh, not too, not too many crane shots in this movie, and this was a good crane shot. Yeah. Of her like firing the machine gun, trying to get the blob to come over to her. It does. She drops the explosive, turn it on, turns it on, like puts it on top of the tanker, goes to jump off the tanker and be, like gets her foot wrapped in something and just goes swing straight down. I always I thought it was a little silly that that would happen. But at the same time, it also looked painful for the stunt person. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's a hose. She gets yeah, her foot a hose. Yeah. caught on and then she snaps over. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, and and it's Which weird. Bri Bri gets is able to relieve really easily. Yeah, you know? so so Brian now comes to her rescue. So it's interesting because at first she's like getting all like like they're doing a good job of making her the hero, and then they neuter her right here. It's not as bad as Savage Streets, where Linda Blair does that like one eighty at the end and completely becomes submissive. It's not that bad, but at the same time. It's like, man, I wish you just let her have the win. You know what I mean? So, but it's, it's 1988. And at the time is, as awesome as, you know, Linda Hamilton was in the Terminator and as awesome as, as Ripley is in aliens and everything. It's still not the norm to have the leading lady be the, the, the explosive hero. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Reggie Bannister in Phantasm 2 when he's like, come on, you mother. When he says that to one of the, uh, one of the guys in, uh, one of the grave robbers and then the grave robber ends up having a way bigger chainsaw than he had and (laughs) and you're like oh shit so all this cockiness was for naught it's almost like the writer is poking fun at the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone showing that you can be super cocky but then the next minute within the next second you can be totally just brought down to earth as to your place and where this thing is like, oh, no, you think you're badass? No, you're not. You, you got a little too cocky, she, and now you're going to die. Or not. <laughs> you're going to get saved by mullet, boy. You're going to get saved by mullet, of course. And as they're running away from the truck, you know, that's about to explode. I do love the fact that the dad is the only one that sort of runs out of town hall. So, you know, he can see that Brian is the hero saving his daughter. Uh, the truck explodes, and, uh, you know, basically sending snow everywhere brian and meg are fine everyone's in awe of the snow that's like coming down to the point where like ma says hey man i told you we'd have snow you just gotta have faith and i was like no brian and meg did it there's no faith here they risked their lives to save you guys and you just said oh gotta have faith fuck you they did all the work. No, yeah, yeah. Fuck you with your faith. It's science, yeah. motherfucker. And yet again, science rules over creative, like, myth. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's dude, I'm proof. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, f- fuck your fake faith. Mm-hmm. Like, good on you for being happy, but dude, no, it was science, bro. Science and hard work. That's right. That's uh, and like, I, the only thing good fuck to come your out thoughts of it, and prayers. <laughs> I will say, at least they added the line of dialogue where Moss says, uh, "We need to get this stuff into the freezer before dawn." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not shitting on Moss. I'm yeah. shitting on that no. idea. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Like, no, no. I get oh, it. We prayed and it yeah. went away. No, no I am, it didn't. I am shitting on Moss. Moss, the character, sucked at that point where he said it was Faith. No, fuck you. It was Brian and Meg. More so, it was Meg. So fuck you doubly but yeah we have a nice and then that you know cute little moment between meg and brian you know so they have a little moment and everything well i was gonna say too when the dad rolls up he pushes brian out of the way when does, he goes to hug meg oh yeah, does he? Like he yeah he pushes him out of the way oh okay good kind of forcefully too where you're like oh fuck you yeah. out the floor that's his daughter that's his daughter that's his, i don't yeah. i don't have a problem with that get your <laughs> hands off my daughter i'm gonna put my hands on your daughter ribbed mm. <laughs> ribbed when you get you when you see your daughter and you almost died you want to put your hands on her and say you got a friend in me you this got, is creepy intentionally you got a friend with ribbed Ooh, i love my daughter so very much I just want to give a hug and a little touch. Wait, that sounded creepy. Oh, no. I better get out of here before I get arrested by the capos. It's Bill Cosby. You got a friend of me. (laughs) Go to an epilogue. Clearly, clearly filmed in like Thousand Oaks or something, you know, uh, the yeah. foothills of, of, of Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Reverend Meeks has a small little flock in a tent. He is delivering his sermon to him, talking about revelations. And he's all crazy. He's burnt up looking and he's got a crazy hair and crazy eyes. And uh, after the sermon, you know, the, one of his followers, one of his flock comes up to him. And he's like, but when, Reverend? When will the time of reckoning come? And he's like, soon, my dear, soon. And we have a shot of him holding up the the mason jar that he collected earlier with the little blob in it. Nice little effect and everything. And uh, and that's it. That's that's the blob. What a love that epilogue, man. Even as a kid, I always thought that was such a strong, strong epilogue. I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was a great way to end it where you set it up for a potential sequel that never happened. And thank God they didn't make a sequel. Yeah. Like just let it build in your mind. And let's be honest, if that thing would have got out of control, they know how to destroy it already. So yeah. they would have, you know, with, with fake snow. Um, but yeah, what great ending and a reminder of, uh, how, how people's blind faith and things can really lead to destruction. Yeah. Uh, and I love it, man. T to B. It's a, such a fun flick. Ninety-five minutes, not too long. Yeah, perfect amount of time. Um, and everybody, like you said from the onset, is great in it. It's just a really fun movie, uh, and a reminder that studio films can put out great horror films as well. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, dude. This this is a studio film. And it's strong, man. It's it's so fucking good. In 2020, like, aside from, you know, like, the, the outfits or whatever, I, 
I wouldn't even say that this even feels like an '80s movie at all. It's just it's no. so good, man, and and I love the fact that it makes fun of tropes, um, and and it makes fun of cliches. Like it has so many red herrings and and so many bait and switches, and it but it never feels like an M Night Shyamalan thing. It never feels like 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 that. It's overused, right? The, these bait and switches. It just works so perfectly and you i mean i love the mist i love everything that fucking frank darabont works on he just has a great like style of writing his characters are great his it's so fast paced even shawshank redemption even the mist all his movies are so well paced man i love a good paced movie well i think i think shawshank is his piece de resistance like as far as like the highlight you know when he's dead and buried People look back on his career and say Shawshank was the movie that made him put him on the map in a big way. But but I think this film is you could easily take millennials or whatever the fuck they're called in this generation. The kids who grow up watching Stranger Things and love Stranger Things and I love Stranger Things. Uh, You could show, you know, you could they'll be into Stranger Things and you say, oh, okay, well, you want to see a movie that would be a nice companion piece to Stranger Things because it kind of makes tongue-in-cheek humor and it, at times, like, pokes fun. It's, it pokes fun at itself but also takes itself seriously. This would be kind of a cool companion piece to that in a way, if you think mm-hmm. about it, like a modern-day version where you've got this massive, like, especially in the third season of Stranger Things with that giant the, beast of a thing yeah, that's almost yeah. like the blob. Uh, attacking the mall, Starcourt Mall, mm-hmm. in a weird way. Like you could totally put that up with this. I, yeah. I'm coming. The reason why I'm like stumbling over my thoughts right now is because it's just coming to me in this moment. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of perfect if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, bad style, uh, bad hair extensions. <laughs> uh, but 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 you know, fun characters, witty writing, cool special mm-hmm. effects. Yeah. I, I don't think you're wrong, dude. I think that this is a great companion piece. I think it's a great horror movie to show someone who's never seen it before, even, you know, in today's climate. I think it would hold up well. I think they wouldn't be like, oh, that's quaint. I think they'd be like, oh, wow, that's freaking awesome. And we'd be like, yeah, it is. So I yeah, highly... I think, yeah, in the retro sense, when people because people are so into retro right now in the retro sense, people wouldn't be thinking it's cheesy. They think, Oh, that's the eighties. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Believable. And and because the effects are practical, they look as good now as they did then. Yeah. There's not one moment in this movie where I'm like, Oh, that was bad. No, no, it's, it's more of it's there was a couple character moments, but it was never any like special effects stuff that we didn't really care for. So, I mean, Hands down, I think we both recommend this movie. We both recommend owning the Scream Factory Blu-ray. It's chock full yeah. of extras. Um, I don't love the cover art of it, so but that's okay. I think it, the cover art's actually pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest yeah, with I, you, the, especially in the menu screen. The menu screen, I'm like, ooh, because their faces look like, a little weird. Yeah, we have friends on Instagram that are are way better artists. No offense. No offense. Yeah, no. no offense to the guy that did it. No, I know. I, yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah, I just I sometimes wonder about that too when I when I see people like who do professional art like this and then they sometimes mess up on like likenesses and stuff and I'm like, hmm, okay. When when we we see so many amazing artists on Instagram that are trying to get you know attention and everything, so it's like yeah, yeah it's interesting. Let's be honest. I just, let's just 
flip that original slip That's... over because the original the original box art is is tits. It's amazing. It's so That's... great. That is literally what I did, and I'm just showing it to, to Zach right now. Yeah. And I do I love the original cover. It's like this lady that's kind of her her silhouette is in the blob. It's a really amazing shot. I love it. It's a it's a fantastic cover in a fantastic movie. And you know what's a fantastic podcast? Two dollar lay fee. Oh, nice segue, dude. Yeah, that's my other podcast that I do. Uh, it's a retro eighties podcast. Uh, newest episode we have right now is an interview with Keith Coogan from Adventures of Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Dishes You're Done, Man. That's what a lot of people constantly quote, and rightfully so. He's a very interesting dude. Uh, he's Uncle Fester's grandson. Yeah. And so he tells a lot of stories about Uncle Fester and Jackie Coogan. Um, he's, he's a He's a... He's a cinephile to the highest degree. Like his not his depth of knowledge of film is pretty extensive, and the guy's had a career ever since he was, was a teeny tiny little kid to now. Um, but going into the month of March, which by the time this episode airs, we will be in March. We will be starting. We'll be having a fun month of martial arts madness <laughs> nice, nice and we will be covering the film no retreat no surrender one of my all-time favorite cheesy action movies we interviewed the star kurt mckinney we have an upcoming interview with him um and a whole lot more so check us out on two dollar late fee instagram we have a lot of fun on the on our instagram page my co-host dustin uh, is really into like making some fun videos and all that good stuff. So follow us on there and, uh, yeah, enjoy us just like you would enjoy us on Corey's other podcast, which I brought up earlier. Yeah. It's called Cartwright, a Seinfeld <laughs> podcast. Cartwright. Cartwright, which is great because, uh, James Hong's birthday was just a couple of days ago. So that man is 92 years Shut old. Shut up, Mr. Button. God bless that man, dude. God bless He's him. He's 92 years old by the time we recorded this episode in 2021. 92 years old. And the and guy has acting. been in over... He's been in 486 various things since his career started. Uh, and, it, yeah, and I think and, he's just now getting a, a star on the Walk of Fame or something. So, yeah, that's a long time coming. You... you, you I guess the the whole star thing is a little bullshit yeah, because well, you gotta yeah. like get a petition. Hey, hey, by the way, guess what? Everything in fucking Hollywood is a little bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all yeah, bullshit. Yeah. News flash to everybody. You actually gotta pay for that star. Yeah, it's it's and, all bullshit, guys. But but you know it's not bullshit. James Hong. He is James Hong. He, and he deserves a star and he's fucking awesome. And yeah, Cartwright. We talk about Seinfeld every week and it's a lot of fun. We have a great time doing it. Uh and then also on the Podcast After Dark Patreon page, we also have a lot of fun zach and i have a shit ton of interviews over there that you guys just so many waiting for you some some amazing some amazing stuff we just we just got finished uh interviewing sean whalen who played roach in people under the stairs so that'll be dropping in a couple months uh we also have like william sadler coming up too and 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 uh jesu garcia who's also known as nick Corey. Mm -hmm. you'll remember him from nightmare on elm street gotcha wildcats Mm mm-hmm uh, really cool dude that'll be our by the time this airs that one will be up on patreon yeah yeah uh, and then we are yeah we have a ton of upcoming interviews 
Yeah, but we do. The ones we already have in the can are great. I know. We have uh, fucking Tom Matthews, Stephen Jeffries, Tony Timpone, Diane Franklin, Zach Ward, Brian Usna, Jeanette Goldstein, John Fillman, fucking Tom Holland, uh, Jonathan Stark, composer Richard Band, uh, Mark Ralston, and then everyone we just listed. So you get all of that for just five dollars, and is and and that also includes our wrap up after dark show on Patreon. It's uh, our monthly show as well that Zach and I'll be recording in a couple days for this month. So. So yeah, we have a lot of stuff going on over there. Check out our Patreon. Uh, you know, every every bit of it goes to help support the show. Just keep us doing what we're doing. And, uh, you know, if you times are tough, so if you can't do a financial donation, no problem. You can always leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way for new listeners to, to find us and everything. So appreciate all the five-star reviews we have over there. I think we're pushing like 56 or 57 right now. So thank you all so much with one lone one star. And I'm just going to assume that person thought one was the best and not five so we have like really 50 we have like 56 five-star reviews and like one one star review so we must have rubbed that guy or girl the wrong way (laughs) oh my gosh well or or they just or they just thought that we're the best number one's the best so maybe that was i'm gonna go with that one as well but if that person actually is still listening to us uh message us because i got a surprise for you <laughs> just change just change it to five please thank you please and yeah. thank you and if you're gonna leave a review just leave a five-star review if not just don't leave a review how about that so as always we'll catch you on the dark side join the podcasting after dark patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia.